Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You dirty animal! I've been in the danger zone. It's like he gave me the website and I went there and sure enough, Andrew Basaggio, Weber, uh, Laura Eisenhower, uh, Douglas Dietrich, all these people that I just absolutely can't stand. Oh, your best friends were there. Holy Christ. I, and you know, I had signed a contract. So I was, I was lassoed. Sean David Morton was the, <laughs> the master of ceremonies. Oh and, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can go for over a thousand dollars a pound. That's good. You was really being ripped off. I can get you that much. Well, it, 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 not necessarily. Welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. I am Michael. I'm the host and producer of this program. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations live and direct right now. Oh, I know. A little late? That's going to happen. You should expect that by now. But of course, back on the TuneIn Radio app search end of days, and that's where you'll find this program. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me tonight on a very special edition of the Michael Deacon program, Paul Hellier is my guest. Paul is one of Canada's best-known and most controversial politicians. He is the former... Canadian Minister of Defense, Paul holds one of the longest and most varied political career in Canada's history. He was the youngest person ever elected to that point in the Canadian House of Commons. In recent years, he has become interested in the extraterrestrial presence and their superior technology that we have been emulating. In September 2005, 
Paul made international headlines by publicly announcing that he believed some UFOs were of extraterrestrial origin. UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead, he was quoted. I look forward to this one, folks. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Back again for another dose of the Michael Deacon program, I see. I was on live last Tuesday night with Chris O'Brien. That was a bit of a rattlesnake. I could feel the heat coming through my headphones and, of course, coming through from the outside walls. I just want to quickly mention here my guests and callers, their opinions are entirely their own and don't reflect on my personal opinion. I don't always agree with everyone here. It's up to you out there to decipher through the code. This is a safe zone for all thoughts and opinions as long as they aren't too extreme. Thank you for understanding. Not everyone took too kindly to what was said by my guest Chris O'Brien. He definitely drew some heat from what I've heard. The whispers have made their rounds already. I'm a bit surprised how small this circle really is and how quickly word travels. We shall see what happens. I did, of course, invite Chris to be a part of the 24-7 network. I have the first show on the official network, by the way. Speaking of Young is now a part of the network, so I thank you, Laura, out there. I'll be looking to add more shows eventually. I strongly urge all of you out there who missed the last episode with Chris, do yourself a favor and listen to that hellacious interview. That's michaeldeacon.com. You'll find all past shows there, and of course, all links are provided there for whatever desired platform you prefer. It's all there. michaeldeacon.com, of course. There is the YouTube channel, and I do want all of you out there to hit subscribe. I would really enjoy that if you did. That way you get the episodes right away. Hardly any waiting there. So thank you all again for being here live with me. I am Michael. I am a mere figment of your imagination, but tonight I'll be your designated driver for this amazing journey, this very glorious journey that we always take on these nights. There is always this scary, unpredictable feeling in the air when I hit that little record button. I sit back here and sit behind that shiny microphone. I never know what's going to happen. It's kind of nerve-wracking, to be honest with you. I do want to mention all of those great people who listen during work. I always had those people in mind as they are working tirelessly into the night burning the candle at both ends. My respect to you. I know you're out there somewhere. I want to thank all of those here in the United States who listen to the program and, of course, those outside of America who tune in. And, of course, the men and women in uniform who are listening in from around the world. I hope you like the show. I see you, too. Hope all is well out there. My, oh, my, what another week we have survived, boys and girls. A lot has happened this week, both in our lives and in the media. Of course, I saw Mr. Alan Combs passed away recently. I always found him quite amusing, even though I don't really watch Fox much. I would laugh every time he would come on, though. I thought he had a pretty good gimmick there. Later on, I learned that he was a comedian. Not that shocking to find out. What's shocking was 
He died at such an early age. That's kind of unusual. Another topic of discussion that kept manifesting itself during my week was the movie Arrival. Yes, again and again, I kept hearing about how great this movie was, how this movie changed my life, how this movie was this, how it was that. Wow, people were really putting this one over. I kept thinking, are these even true statements, or am I being ribbed? Come on, the movie was okay. I, I give you that. All right, Jesus, it wasn't life-altering. Okay, give it a break. I just give it a break. These are the same people who I I bet enjoy the same Hollywood movie formula that is forced down our throats. We have been so preconditioned, not only in films, but in everything we do. I won't go too deep into that, but the movie started off great and then it just died at the end. My goodness. Of course, I was producing another show a few days ago and the guest Monica Wickman totally put that movie over. I was doing my best not to jump in there and speak up and talk about this specific formula that I always see that keeps ruining great films and holding back far better, newer, and better ideas. Why keep everything in the shadow? Hmm. Let's see what's going on with my guest here. He should be around. Let's give him a quick little call here. Oh, hmm. I guess he's not around. I guess I'm going to have to give him a call here, folks. So give me a few minutes. I'm going to... Go and fetch my guest. Hang tight. Oh, I went ballistic. I got up there and I just blasted everybody. I said, oh, "Did you really, you ignorant people? Don't you understand what is going on? You're sitting in the pews of a new church of the 21st century. Can I get an amen?" And welcome back to the program. Thank you for hanging tight. Let's see what's going on with our guest. Hopefully, this time he's around. Bear with me here as I try to connect with Paul. Goes on. We were having some sort of difficulty with Skype earlier. Skype is always a little weird, folks. I'm not sure if you are aware of that or if any of you have ever tried to conduct a show using Skype. It doesn't always work out for whatever reason. Uh-oh. Not hearing anything. Maybe he's gone. Let's see. That's very strange. I was just talking to him a minute ago. Phone tag, folks. <laughs> And welcome back to the program. I have finally found my guest, Paul Hellier. Sir, are you there? Yes, I am. Wonderful. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm sorry about all the problems that plagued us here. Well, that happens with technology sometimes. Oh, yes. I Once again, I want to thank you for being here and sharing your time with us. It's an honor and privilege to speak to you here tonight. Now, I know you don't have too much time with us here, so I want to get right into things with you. You have been quoted in saying UFOs are as real as airplanes. Have you yourself seen any unusual lights in the sky? I, I personally have uh, seen one twice, but that's not what we were supposed to be talking about tonight, is it? We were supposed to be talking about all sorts of things, yes. I thought we were going to talk about the uh, the crises of the, in the world at the present time. and. Uh, oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Yes. The banking system and uh, so on. Oh, yes. We'll get into all of that here. Definitely. That's that's something I did want to cover, but I, I did want to just quickly go over this with you, sir. Yes. Well, I, I, I did uh, make that statement uh, 11 years ago, and uh, it was true then, still true now. Oh, yes. Definitely. There's one thing I, I did want to ask you here. Exactly. Is there any one case that solidifies your belief in extraterrestrials here on Earth? 
Well, it was, yes, I read a book uh, called um, The Day After Roswell by uh, Colonel Corso, who was the U.S. intelligence officer. And then, uh, are you getting a lot of static? Uh, tiny, well, not really. I'm, it sounds okay here on this end. Okay. Well, I, I read that book, and then I, I talked to a retired United States um, United States Air Force general who confirmed that it was uh, that it was true. And um, well, there's, there's terrible noise here. I don't know where it's coming from. Let me see. Let me try to fix the noise there for you. How about now? Is that better? That's better. Yes. All right. Got it for you there. Yes. So I did want to also. Quickly go over your book, sir. Yeah, that would be good. Yes. Actually, Let's I talk three, about it real quickly here. I have three uh, books still in print, and they're all relevant to what's happening in the world today. The first one uh, is uh, was Light at the End of the Tunnel, a um, survival plan for the human species. That was written four or five years ago, and it uh, was sort of the – I thought it was going to be my last book. But then so much happened during the next three or four years that I wrote another book, the one that you're referring to, no doubt, which is The Money Mafia, right. A World in Crisis. And so um, it is the latest one, and it uh, it covers most of the major problems facing mankind or humankind today, and uh, and uh, in particular the, uh, the monetary financial crisis, the fact that we have uh, a crisis in in the banking industry that just isn't working for the people because it's a, it's now a monopoly and uh, it's uh, it's run by a handful of uh, of old banking families large and they um, they have just taken over the the world. It, it took them 300 years to get to the point where they had a total monopoly. Yeah, these people so have been in power you, for so long. Pardon me. I was saying these people have been in power for so long. Yeah, well, they've they've been at it for a long time since uh, going back at least to the time of uh, King William of Orange when uh, he chartered the Bank of uh, of England because he needed some money to uh, fix up his armed forces when his uh, his luck ran out when he, during the war with France, and uh, rich people there in London put up a million two hundred thousand pounds in gold and uh, lent it all to at eight percent, which is a pretty high interest rate for uh, a government guaranteed loan. Well, then to show his uh, approval, to show his pleasure with them for doing that, he said that they could print P R I N T another. Million two hundred thousand pounds of uh, banknotes and lend them to their friends at high interest rates. <clears throat> well, that was that was the beginning of what we called the partial reserve system of banking, and it meant that they could lend the same money to two different organizations or groups at the same time and collect interest from each. Well, over the years, that ratio, which was two to one, became much more generous. And in the early years of the 20th century, for example, in the United States, federally chartered banks um, had to have a gold reserve of 25%. That meant that the uh, banks could lend the same money four times to four different people or companies or whatever. <clears throat> when I was young in Canada, um, our banks had to have an 8% 
cash reserve, which meant that they could lend the same money 12 and a half times. Well, due to the avarice of the banks and the collusion of the politicians, along comes Milton Friedman and says, you know, really banks shouldn't be regulated. And uh, so that ratio went up, first of all, above 20, 20 to 1, as high as 30 to 1, but then back down to sort of a general agreement of 20 to 1, which means that they could lend the same money to 20 different governments, businesses, or individuals at the same time and collect interest from each one of them. Well, that's that's grand larceny. That's, yeah. That's, that's you know, it, it is so... That's terrible. ...ridiculous that... It's hard to believe, isn't it? It really is. It really and, is. And they have a, and they have, uh, the flip side of that is that in effect they're able to buy up assets for five cents on the dollar. And the, would you believe that three years ago, 88 families owned half of all the wealth in the whole world. And then a year later, that dropped to 80 and last year it dropped to 62. And frankly, I, I just can't get my mind around this. Um, how 62 families that could be, you know, live on one suburban street of a, of a city could own half of all the wealth in the world. And it's, it's mind boggling. When I'm, mm -hmm. when I'm speaking about it, I, I sort of <laughs> say, well, look, start to get a, try and get your mind around this, which is difficult. So you start on the other side of the Pacific Ocean with, uh, say, Peking, Beijing, Tokyo. And come across and get Vancouver, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and come on to the east, and you get uh, Philadelphia and New York and, uh, and Toronto and Montreal, and then hop across the pond, and you've got Manchester and London and, and Paris and Bonn, and on it goes and on, right around the world. And every second one of those cities is owned lock, stock, and borrow by those 62 families. And the problem is that they have a, mo a, a monopoly in creating money so that um, if governments need money, which all governments do because money is the, is the gasoline for economic growth, um, they have to either raise it by taxes, which in my part of the world at least are already too high, or borrow it. But there's no way to pay it back because with a monopoly, all of the money that the banks create is debt, and both the principal and interest has to be paid, but no money had to pay that interest or the principal. So you have uh, these terrible recessions or depressions and, uh, and austerity economics. And last year the, the, at the Davos uh, um, conclave, there was a study which showed that there were going to be 250 million unemployed people in the world last year, 2016. Can you imagine that? Oh, yes. You know, and it, oh, go it, ahead, sorry. It, it leads to all sorts of problems, too. I've, they've had some trouble in South Africa of the last few days, um, uprisings, but they have 35% unemployment. And, uh, and other countries in Europe have had that level of unemployment, too. And ours isn't that high, either in the United States or Canada, but there's still too many. In my country, there are a million unemployed young people. and Yes, there's many they, here, too. They, they just don't have the same opportunities that my generation had. 
And that's ridiculous because we should have better opportunities. There's more technology. Yeah, how do we change that, though? Well, what I'm saying is that there has to be, there's no other solution that I know of, there has to be a massive infusion of government-created debt-free money to, to you know, dilute the, the ocean of debt in which we're drowning. And I know that the, the money cartel, the banking cartel, doesn't want that because they like it the way it is. They love it the way it is, yeah. And they can just keep on buying up the rest of the world. But as far as the people is, are concerned, there's no solution that I can think of other than that one that would work. And, and we have to do something about it. And in my book, I have um, what I call the Canadian precedent. And a, and a plan which would, uh, which would work if we could just persuade our government to do it. And we should really be leading the world on this because we own our central bank, unlike the United States, which uh, has a bank, a central bank, the Federal Reserve System, which is owned by the, by the big banks, by the people that have been running the world. Yes. And so, um, we, we really have we have an opportunity to uh, to take the leadership here and should do it. And I wish if there are any Canadians that listen into this at all that they would put pressure on the government and the prime minister to say, look, we've got a responsibility to do this. And we should do it right away because the cartel is planning some tricks to keep their power by going to a cashless society. And if they do that, heaven help us. I mean, we're in trouble enough already, but yes. the cashless society, backed up by, say, the National Security Agency, which tracks each one of us and knows where we are all the time, they, they, can, they would have total power because they could just, anybody that crossed them in any way, they could just kind of lose their bank account. Now I'm curious, Paul. I'm very curious, Paul. What exactly is your opinion on our president here in the United States, and what is the... Well, I th- mm-hmm. I think it's too soon to uh, to tell to pass judgment. And besides that, you know, but I, there, there are things that I wish he, he would do. <clears throat> Both in this area, he would have to um, he would have to repeal the Federal Reserve Act after a little over a hundred years. It should have been done right away. Well, it should never have been signed in the first place. I think the congressmen were more interested in. Uh, Sugar plum fairies just before Christmas, and they were in, in guarding the uh, the best interests of the people. <clears throat> We'd have to do that, and then set set up a, a wholly public owned um, central bank, which could then um, do the sort of thing that I'm suggesting in my book. And it's really a little, you know, it's difficult in a few minutes to explain the, the, exactly how it would work, but it's all there. Of course. Anybody wants to get a copy of the the Money Mafia World in Crisis, they can get it from uh, from. Um, you know, I guess they could order it from a bookstore, but Amazon, Amazon perhaps, the, yes. Amazon is the fastest and probably the least expensive way. Or if they wanted a if they wanted a personally signed copy, they could. Uh, Get it by going to my website, which is paulheatherweb.com. That's um, paulheatherweb.com. But but he could do that. And there are other things. There's one other thing that he should really do. This, that would do if if he did that, and he and he started printing money. In effect, 
creating money. And perhaps he should, right at the beginning, uh, have a couple of trillion-dollar uh, platinum coins that are already approved by Congress. And they had a, a bit of a foo-for-ah about that a couple of years ago when President Obama was talking about how to get enough money to uh, not have to increase the uh, debt limit. And he could do that just to sort of keep the or get things rolling uh, while he gets the uh, Congress to repeal the uh, the Federal Reserve Act and then uh, set up another bank that is wholly owned by the by the uh, people of the United States. And then they could create about um, I would say maybe a trillion dollars a year, roughly for seven years, while they were reinstating the need for cash reserves, because banks used to have cash reserves, as I was saying. But they stopped doing that um, a few decades ago when when uh, Milton Friedman sort of, I don't know, convinced somebody, certainly convinced Paul Volcker, that, uh, that banks didn't need, need cash reserves. And they, they have instead what they call a, a capital adequacy, which I say is a capital inadequacy. Right. But he, he would have to do that. And if he did that, then the United States would have enough money to solve the unemployment problem uh, without, you know, any having to beggar their neighbors in any way by putting restrictions on. It's just hard and, for me to to see these these issues being ironed out so quickly. Well, well the president one thing the president can do is act quickly. Yeah, well he's been doing that. I've been if, you know, I've been impressed guess, by that, by the way, even though well, let me just say I, I don't really have a proverbial dog in the fight, but I I do support any president really, and I'm impressed that he's been quite busy. He's worked very quickly and very, right. you know, that, and much more so than most presidents and most leaders. So that would be in his favor if he were to make up his mind that the policy was the right thing to do. He could do it, I'm sure, where other people have just, you know, not really taken the bull by the horns, as the saying goes. I think the, the biggest stumbling block is that one of his advisors, one of his cabinet ministers, Formerly Goldman Sachs, CEO of Goldman Sachs, yes. So um, that raised an eyebrow. That raises an eyebrow, yes, because right. Goldman Sachs is. It, there's actually a quote in my uh, book by someone who worked for Goldman Sachs who says Goldman Sachs runs the world. Well, that's not not quite true, but they certainly have a tremendous amount of influence. They definitely do have that pool, and they have. Uh, they're part of the gang. The the New World Order gang. The banker uh, cartel. Yes. Yeah. And so the other thing that has to be addressed, and the president could do this quickly too, there aren't, there wouldn't be enough jobs just, you know, for automobiles and uh, the, the old paradigm of things. He should, um, he should bring into the public domain clean energy and in particular zero point energy. The United States has the technology. And it should be made available both to uh, American manufacturers and to manufacturers around the world. <clears throat> because I'm, I'm absolutely convinced from the evidence in my book that global warming is a real problem. You, you probably know that now they have a politically correct way of addressing it as climate change. Yes, they do. Because they don't want, 
you don't want to have to face the truth. But it's a real problem. And no doubt. I, I say in the book, and I've, I know that so many things are likely to go wrong in this area that um, we should try and, and change the system and do what we did in World War II, but the opposite. Some people say, well, you can't do that in seven years, which is what I was recommending in my book. But we could if somebody like President Trump said it was going to be done. Yeah, by the way, Paul, and, you want to mention just quickly here about the wall. I, I live in a small city near the border called El Centro, and we are one of the first ones who get to see this giant wall. And Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing what that looks like. To be honest with you, I'm very intrigued. And think of- what was that? You You broke up a little bit there. Pardon me? Oh, I couldn't hear what you were saying. You broke up for I a said, second. Do you think it will work? Well, they say the old fence was ineffective, and I'm going to have to say I agree completely. Uh, there's been many elaborate devices used to, I guess you could say, bypass the wall. There's been complex underground tunnel systems to bypass the wall. Mm-hmm. There even have been times where people cut tennis balls and they stick black tar heroin in them and stitch them back up and throw them over the over the fence there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's been very effective to be honest with you, Paul. And well, yeah, we'll find out I how effective it, it is in the very near future here. It won't take long to find out how well it works. And probably certainly should be better than no wall. I don't know. <laughs> That's very true. And given the concentration of power in the global banking system, do you feel the same uh, 62 families control the abilities of governments to disclose the existence of UFOs? Well, I think this is a deliberate policy by by the cabal. The cabal, is I define as being uh, headed by the banking cartel. They're at the apex. And then just beneath the, the banking cartel is the oil cartel. And they're one of the reasons, of course, why the uh, zero-point energy technology has been kept secret, because they want to cash in their their oil deposits. But in, the, in effect, they're saying, we don't give a damn about the world and the few gener- generations of our children and grandchildren. All we care about is making money, even if the world's going up in flames. And so then just beneath them are the heads of the major trans uh, international corporations, transnational corporations, and beneath those, the, the uh, intelligence agencies, a number of them, large parts of the intelligence agencies, in particular the uh, CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and uh, and also the MI6, the British, and the, uh, the Israeli Mossad are kind of involved in it too. And then a huge slice of the, the U.S. military. So this is a formidable group that had their eyes set on world government that was unelected and which was really set up to run by them for them, for their benefit, and not for the benefit of the ordinary people. So if, a, if the president could, could dismantle that or even partly dismantle it in a, f- a four-year term or an eight-year term, that would be... Uh, I think a great service to both the United States who would get their country back and uh, 
and, for, and to the world. So you're very optimistic then, Paul. It seems like most people well, here in, in my in my country aren't very optimistic about the president and his policies, sir. Well, I'm just I think it's too soon to judge. As we say, the, of course. the jury is still out. The jury is still out. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's you have final to give yet. Somebody a little time to uh, to learn the ropes. Remember, he's never been in politics before. Yeah. Got to give him not, a little chance there. Not a there. specialist in, in foreign affairs, so he's got a lot to learn. But he's, I think he's a quick learner, so we'll see uh, in a few months uh, whether he picks up the uh, importance of some of these things that uh, that have to be done. You know, fi- the final analysis and uh, is that we have we have spiritual problems. That is the bottom line. And at the end of my book, I say that the spirituality is the missing link, and the, the United States is already great. I may say so in the military sense, is the greatest military power in the history of the world. There's no question about that. It's way ahead of any possible uh, threat of any kind. It really has no enemies, and so the amount of money you're spending on on armaments and on the military is far, far greater than is needed. And there really should have been a peace dividend when the, the Berlin Wall came down. But that didn't happen because of the military-industrial complex that General Eisenhower warned us about. And I, I guess you can appreciate that profits are never listened to. And we didn't pay any attention to them. And they decided they had to have a war all the time in order to justify huge military expenditures. But if we were to go for the clean, you know, to replace an oil economy with a, a clean energy economy, decided to do it fast, We would. what we would have to do is exactly the opposite we did in World War II, which I remember very well. We turned, took all of the automobile plants and the refrigerator plants and the washing machine plants and turned them into armaments plants. What we need to do in the world today is just the exact opposite and convert the armaments plants into clean energy, zero-point energy machines to install in every car, truck, uh, and uh, tractor, and and boat, and uh, plane, and home on Earth, and in seven years. And it could be done. Yes, it could be. If it was the top priority, if if the governments of the world, and especially the United States, said it's going to be done, it would be done. And that's what we need. And then to start concentrating on a world of justice and of uh, and of peace. Because, in my opinion, war is obsolete. In each war, the, the, the killing machines have been worse than in the previous ones. And the U.S., since World War II, has developed some, some weapons which are, you know, boggle your mind. Some very, yes, some very advanced weaponry. And And... It should never be used. And there are a few people in the Pentagon who really sort of hanker taking the Russians on for size. Well, it would be insanity. And yeah. it would be, it would, it would be devastating. I'm glad you, you, you're bringing that up because I did want your opinion on North Korea and all the mayhem that's going on right now with them. Well, I, I don't know the solution to that one. Although I was certainly glad to see that the Chinese are starting to do something for the first time. And, uh, but they have to do more and, and take, I would say, I don't know what the solution is, but I guess diplomacy is the, is the best solution to try at least because the world should not 
continue along the road to competition and saying uh, we have to have a bigger and better empire and uh, we don't want then it'll be somebody else's turn as it's been for the last few thousand years. We're past that stage. And only a world of cooperation has any real hope of uh, of being peaceful and of being prosperous at the same time. And it can be done, but it means that we're going to have to change our ways. And in my the other book that I mentioned, The Light at the End of the Tunnel, I have a chapter called Mammon Rules the World. Well, you know, much of the United States was a time when it was uh, it was mostly Christian, or so you know, a lot of people right. followed that tradition. And Jesus said, "You can't serve God and Mammon." But I have a chapter in there saying Man, Mammon is running the world, and for the last oh, certainly since World War II, it has been becoming worse and worse all the time, where people put making money ahead of all else. And if it in some cases it required cheating a little bit or something, uh, quite a lot of people were were willing to do that. And you have a lot of corruption in the world. And what this means is that we have to have a change of heart. We have to because I don't think most people are ready for that sort of change. Well, if if let's be honest about it, if they're not, I'm not sure that the human species is going to survive. I really, I, you know, I try to be optimistic about that, but we are so preconditioned. There's so many negative things. It's just bizarre. And most, well, I'm talking about those here in the United States. It seems like Canada probably has a different sort of issues. But here in the United States, it's most people here are oblivious to what's going on around the world. And most people are like deer caught in headlights, sir. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's a, that's a problem. That's an issue there, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I think the president is right that the, um, the press have been less than helpful in telling the truth. Uh, that they seem to have two or three very important subjects that they just don't report. And, uh, reminds me of Ellen Brown saying that after the Fed was, uh, established, for example, that the, uh, that the Morgan Bank got a group together and said, find out the powerful 25 Newspapers in the United States, and they had a committee to do that, and then they bought the editorial control of every one of the 25, so that nothing that was critical of the new regime got into the press. And I'm sure that the cabal has done exactly the same thing. There's a new book by uh, uh, Estulin, Danny Estulin, who wrote the the uh, true story of the Bilderbergers. And in the latest book, pardon me. I was going to say another family. Yeah, well, they're they have there's the overlapping, and most most of the people running the world are in that in that group or have been in attendance at one time or another. But he, in this latest book, he lists the the control or ownership of every major English language news outlet, both print and electronic. And Bilderbergers are involved in every single case. So that gives you the kind of uphill struggle that you have when you're trying to get the, the truth out about something that doesn't uh, that doesn't suit their purposes. Yeah, sad, sad. It really is sad. And here we are with the CEO of Goldman Sachs once again in power. 
But there, there are good things happening in the world, and I've listed a few of them at the end in the postscript of my book. And it's not beyond, uh, not beyond possibility that people can change. Because I get a lot of emails from around the world from, from very spiritual people, and a lot of them from the United States and a lot of them from young people in the United States. And they want a better world, and they're willing to, to work to bring it about. A lot of them ask me what to do, and it's you know it's difficult to. It's hard to give one answer. Yes, it's hard to give one answer for everything. Pardon me. I said it's very difficult to give one answer for everything. Usually. Well, sure, because yes. there's there's shades and, there, yes, and, sir. and different pe- people have to do different things. Mm-hmm. In any event, we have to do our best because we only have one world, and we've done a pretty good job of wrecking it. <laughs> That's true. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, one other very important thing I do, I do got to mention to you here, Paul, is your opinion on 9-11. What exactly are your thoughts? I have them all in the book. Okay, all in the book. Yes, and in effect, no uh, the, the top uh, officials in the United States knew that it was going to happen. And uh, regrettably, I'm afraid didn't do anything to stop it from happening. Understood. You know, your stance on UFOs and disclosure and 9-11 and all these things, the banking cartel, has, has any of these, these topics, have they ever gotten you in any kind of hot water? Well, I suppose, um, there are quite a few people that don't, uh, genuflect when they see me coming. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. Yes. And, and, Definitely. There are a lot of people in the cabal, and there are a lot of people in the CIA, and so on. That, uh, and they keep a pretty close watch on what I'm doing. I would have to understand, and, uh, yes. But you know, you can only do what you feel you have to do. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm in the category of feeling that I have to tell the truth, and especially when a lot of people aren't. Oh yes. And uh, to try and influence a few people to want to know more about the truth. And to make a special effort to try and get uh, get more of it published. So uh, sure, there's a certain amount of risk. And if I was, I guess, if I was 40 or 50 years younger and had young children, I'd probably you'd be a little bit more to, right to what I'm doing. But uh, I'm I'm as you probably know, 93 years old. 93, yes, sir. And uh, and the, the worst thing they can do is shoot me. And I've had a good life, so. <laughs> I don't fear death, right? And uh, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to because I haven't broken any oaths, right? You've been following you've, the lines, yes. Pardon me. I said you've been following the lines perfectly there. I've I've been doing saying what I believe, and none of it has has uh, involved any official of you know breaking any official secrets. Yes, and you know that reminds me, there was a bit of ruckus over John Podesta's emails in regards to the late Edgar Mitchell. What exactly do you make of that, sir? I'm afraid I don't know the details. Of course, Edgar Mitchell was a, a good friend of mine, and we've been we were collaborators for I guess about, almost about ten years before he died. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm I'm not familiar with the Podesta emails. Yeah, the entire WikiLeaks saga was a bit of a rattlesnake, I'd have to say. What was it? Oh, I'm saying it was a bit of a rattlesnake. It was a yeah, but tell me what it, what it was. What it was? Yeah, what did what did what did the uh, email say? 
Oh, there was a bunch of emails with Podesta trying to get in uh, dates with Edgar Mitchell. I've had numerous guests that have mentioned that, but it's it's really, really odd for me to even think about any of these things because for the longest time people thought, well, and of course this goes back to the election, some people actually had, they actually, well, they certainly figured that if Hillary was elected, then then that means there would be some sort of disclosure just entirely based on an image that was released on the Internet of her holding some sort of UFO-related book. Um, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter who is in charge of this country. I don't think they're going to disclose any of that sort of thing with us. Well, no, and, and the CIA did release uh, thousands of pages of material, but it's all inconsequential. You know, it's it's the it's the the ordinary stuff, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't really tell you anything. It, uh, it tells you about sightings and a lot of stuff, but uh, they're they're not going to release anything they don't want released. But they'll they will put out a little bit of you know a few a few uh, grains of, uh, of of wheat or something or other for the birds, but uh, not right. a, not. Uh, any kind of real meat. And yeah, I don't think, frankly, that it would have, that Podesta would have been successful in getting anything much more than, uh, right. than a nod. I, I don't and, think so either. But yeah, he was trying to set up a meeting with Edgar, um, but of course, he couldn't get that scheduled in there because he passed on. That's right. You know, yeah, they were going to talk about, bad. I think they were going to talk about zero point energy. Yeah, they, they, I think I think I did read something about them talking about zero point energy, L. and that would have been great to get uh, if they could have gotten publicity for it. But maybe somebody else will do it. Maybe maybe somebody will say to the president, the time for disclosure on this most important subject is now, oh, and uh, yes. it would be a great thing. It would be the one of the best things that could happen, and uh, so we can maybe hope and pray that. It will take place in the fairly near future. Yes, and speaking of all these great creations and possibilities, have you ever stepped foot inside a Tesla? Um, I don't think so. I've I've been hybrids, but I I don't think I've been ever put uh, a foot inside a Tesla. Oh my, but sir, you are missing out. I'm, I'm I know how smooth and quiet the the one that I saw was. Yes, and I I know that uh, I know what is possible. Oh, I know yes. how the system works, and uh, I hope it won't be too long until we get at it. Yes. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go. Do you have a last question or two that you? Yeah, you know, but before I even ask you anything else, um, are there any other books you have in the works, sir? Well, they're not at the moment. The, the third book. I have three that I mentioned at the beginning. I didn't name the third one. Yeah, you didn't a mention miracle that. A miracle in waiting, uh, economics that makes sense. But it, it's only really good for uh, people who are interested in the economic side of things uh, in particular because it goes into where Milton Friedman went wrong, for example, and why we should get rid of the of the Bank for International Settlements, which is nothing but uh, a, a tool of the of the banking families, the rich elite uh, banking families, and uh, why the International Monetary Fund uh, 
should be wound up and their their debts to the poor countries written off and things like that, as well as also the, the possibility of, of a new uh, international currency, uh, reserve currency uh, for the world, which would involve all currencies and not just uh, the United States dollar or any Chinese or Japanese or other substitutes, but would be one that would represent all of the, the world system. Because the, the Chinese, the, the BRIC companies, countries are going to insist on something. And it's uh, my suggestion in the miracle waiting is, uh, I think, sensible as a, a solution that would be fair to everyone, because that's what we're looking for. Well, then I've already mentioned light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, yes. And it's, uh, you can get it from Author House or from Amazon, or actually, I have a good price on that one from the web, my website. And, uh, you get the, uh, I think Amazon is the least expensive way to get to the money mafia. Except if anybody wanted a personally autographed uh, copy, they could get it from my website. It costs them a little more, and it's all because of postage, or most of oh, it yes. because of postage which from our country to your country is exorbitant yes. for some reason or other. It's very pricey. So that's, mm-hmm. But I, I think one final word on, I think my light at the at least of the money mafia is one of the best books available to sort of paint a picture of what has gone on and what is going on in the world. In other words, it puts you in the picture to a very large extent. About the only thing that I didn't, have in there is one that I would love to mention in closing, and that is the chemtrails. And here we have um, the U.S. military and the CIA dropping poison on the people of the United States and Canada and other NATO countries. And the presidential order to end that would be one of the most wonderful things that could happen. Because I know it's military, but there is no military need for that system. And it isn't right that the military should be dropping poison and poisoning the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the soil where we grow our food. And one of the reasons that I'm so hept about it is I didn't carry around in my pocket pictures of my children or of my grandchildren, but I have a picture of my great-granddaughter. I have three great-grandchildren. And I say to myself, are mm-hmm. they going to have to live or die because these, this poison that's being dropped creates all sorts of different diseases? That's very true. It's a, it's a terrible thing. Are they going to have a, a rotten life because some people who had ambitions that are unrealistic and unnecessary and detrimental to both the United States and the world decided to continue with a with a plan that uh, should have been uh, shut down years ago. And so nothing could please me more than the president saying, uh, here's a presidential order to the United States forces and the CIA to uh, cease and desist from uh, chemtrails effective immediately. That yeah. would... Uh, yeah. I would stand up and cheer for that. I'm glad you mentioned that because they're always spraying up here. Um, you know, central, lots of agriculture. So they're always spraying something in the air. And 
I'll just ask one more quick question here before I let you go. What, in your opinion, will it take to unite governments around the world to open up a true UFO dialogue, in your opinion? Um, consent from the United States, because I think there are agreements that cover, like, Canada and, and uh, probably Russia and uh, France and, uh, and the United Kingdom. And so I think the word really should start should come from the United States, but um, it's always possible that someone, uh, well, maybe the Russians, for example, might decide at some stage that they'll just tell the truth and uh, and take the consequences. Um, I would cheer anybody that did that, regardless of who it was. But um, the, the United States, going back, a way back to well, Eisenhower's time, I think, got uh, agreements signed with many countries that they would... Uh, in effect, to put a lid on the truth, and it's uh, it's, un- it's unfortunate. It's inconsistent with rules like the 50-year rule, at which time they're supposed to make this stuff public. And more than 50 years has gone by on some of the important developments, and uh, time has more than passed when the American people should know what they have been paying for for the last 60 years, and what they've gotten for it and whether it's good for them or whether it isn't and whether they should continue to pay for it or whether they shouldn't. And uh, I guess one of my most interesting uh, experiences, and this will be my final thought on for tonight. Yes, sir. I was on a panel in Washington in 2013 where Steve Bassett got together six former Congress people, five Congress men and women and one former senators and 40 witnesses at the press club for five days. And uh, not one of those six people really knew that UFOs existed and had absolutely no idea, of course, how much had been spent on them, where the money came from, even though the Congress has a constitutional responsibility for uh, public's uh, tax money and where it goes. So, um, I acquiesce. yeah, there are a lot of things that... Uh, we need to get out in the in the air, fresh air for people to see and know about. Uh, but they're not going to happen overnight. And we'll just have to keep slugging away at it. So yes, and I want to thank you so much for being a part of the program. And I do want to thank you for for truly standing up for yourself and speaking the truth. Well, that's my motto. I, actually, my family motto was "Be just and fear not." And that's what I try to do. Well, you've lived up to that, sir, and I thank you for it. Thank you very much. Bye for now. All right. Take care. Good night, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. And that was my guest, Paul Hellier. Great, great guest. I really enjoyed that. Now, I'm looking at some emails here, and I was supposed to bring on a very secret guest named Michael Tellinger. Michael Tellinger. I mean, Michael Telstar. My goodness, not Michael Tellinger. That was another email I received. My goodness. Now I'm spoiling all the surprises here behind the scenes. No, Michael Telstar was the secret guest that I was supposed to bring on after the break. But once again, folks, I'm having a really strange time getting a hold of these people. Everyone in Canada right now seems to be very difficult to get a hold of. Not sure why. My, oh my. So, once again, I'm going to have to propose to all of you out there that I gotta go on a little break here and see what's going on with the next guest. 
And if he doesn't show, then I guess I'm going to have to say a few words here and talk to all of you out there listening. This is a call-in show, if all of you did forget. That number is 760-332-8947 or 760-332-8724. Go ahead and add me over Skype. End of days, Mike. And that's Mike with the letter Y, not the letter I, folks. Oh, yes. That was a fun interview, folks. I had a great time talking to Paul. 93 years old. I hope to live that long myself. It's a long time to be alive. Great time. So once again, I'll be right back, folks. I'm going to see what's going on with my other guest, Michael. Don't go anywhere. This was a rebellion against the elites. True. It was a complete reinvention of, of, of politics and polls. It's true. But it was also something else. We've talked about race. I mean, we've talked about everything but race tonight. We've talked about income. We've talked about class. We've talked about region. We haven't talked about race. This was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president in part. And that's the part where the pain comes. And Donald Trump has a responsibility tonight to come out and reassure people that he is going to be the president of all the people who he insulted and offended and, and, and brushed aside. Yeah, when you say you, know, you want to take your country back. And welcome back to the program. Joining me now is a very special guest, Michael Telstar. He is a mentalist entertainer and lecturer of the paranormal he has attended the renowned monroe institute when the founder was still alive he received his trainer's development guidelines and gateway programs michael continued his training and received his master extended remote viewing from david morehouse and joining me now is michael telstar michael are you there i hope so (laughs) oh my how's it going Good, good. Things this year are looking up uh, different than the last couple of years. Yeah, and you know, I'm finally glad you can join me here because I've been trying to set this up with you and it hasn't been able uh, to work out in, in the way we wanted it to. I guess that's the way life is. Sometimes, sometimes you get a barrier, you know, you let it surmount it, take a break, and then things will eventually turn your way if, you, if you're persistent enough. <laughs> oh, yes. And earlier I told you that I was interviewing Paul Hellier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who you've told me you've met. Yeah, he's a remarkable fellow, yeah. Yes. Pretty and, tall. Oh, how tall is he? Um, I would say he's six foot four. Oh yeah, he's pretty tall then. Yes, and he's, he seems to be in very good shape for being someone who's over 90. He's 93. Pretty remarkable. 93 yeah. years yeah. young. Yeah, and he doesn't use a walker or a cane. That's, that's incredible. Really, no walker, nothing? No, no. Just walking around like, uh, you know, like, uh, somebody in their 50s, I guess. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. I had no idea. It is. Yeah, I've seen people that were younger than him who had walkers or kings and such, but he didn't have any. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, at first, he didn't really want to talk about the UFO disclosure. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit, I guess you'd have to, he's really passionate, I noticed, um, on the banking system, which is good, spreading that information and news. And Yes, it um, really is. And it's, it's terrific information that he has. And I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it's not that he's reluctant to talk about the uh, connection between the Canadian government and UFO procedure, but I guess he just uh, wants to focus on one particular thing, and then he'll talk about the other. But he he will open up about that. I guarantee you, Mike, on your next show, he will talk about it. That's his Trojan <laughs> horse, huh? I predict it. I predict it, yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I, I was prepared. It's just I didn't want to cut him off and talk about this or that. I, I wanted to let him do his thing. Yeah, that's the way to do it, yeah. Yeah, so Michael, let, let's start start talking about your background here in remote viewing, but um, let, let's go back even further. How did you even discover remote viewing? Um, I think that when I was about uh, oh, very young, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, um, I was getting these images and visuals, like every 10, 11, 12-year-old kid gets, and everybody gets basically, and I was getting some information that was pretty accurate. I used to tell my father at the time that um, when he was gone on a business trip, I had to look after the boarding house and collect the rent and everything, and he was gone for a few days to a week or more. I'd be telling him what he was doing, and I said, he asked me how I, I said, well, I just saw the image in my mind, what was happening, and I thought everybody was doing that. So, of course, it wasn't regarded as remote viewing. I mean, I didn't know the remote viewing, the term yet back then, even though it was around. And then I just basically, uh, you know, read as many things as I can on, on this faculty, which is, which is regarded as clairvoyance. So remote viewing is a modern term for clairvoyance, basically. Yes. But who exactly introduced you to the topic? Who was the first guy or woman? Um, I, you know, I kind of was introduced to it automatically on my own, but I did go to the Monroe when I was Monroe Institute, which was located in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Robert Monroe, who formed the um, uh, the institute, uh, he's a millionaire, was a, a think tank. They also worked mostly for the CIA, NSA, FBI, as well as military, top military brass, generals, admirals, and so on and so forth. And uh, my girlfriend at the time had mentioned she had seen an article about this uh, institute becoming available, their, their programs becoming available for the general public. So when she told me that, I, you know, contacted them and got information. And eventually went up and um, got a little more information, you know, and uh, learned a little bit more of what I was doing. Uh, now they didn't, they didn't talk about remote viewing at that time, even though it was known by the institute. But techniques that we're teaching were based on altered states of awareness and getting information on that, um, getting information on whatever it is that you're looking at. By the way, did you see that CIA document that was released? About remote viewing on Mars. No, I tell me a little bit about Mike. When was it released? Yeah, let me let me look for that really quickly here. You just reminded me right now. There was an article I, I recall. It was a PDF file, and they were remote viewing something on Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's old. That's old school. Stuff. Very old school stuff. Yeah, but yeah, they, very old. Yeah, they did I'm that. Surprised uh, the CIA even released anything like that. Yeah, they they probably released it some while though. Some, some ways back, but there was other people who are not associated with them or were not working for them that had mentioned that, like uh, Ingo Swan, and he had reviewed Mars, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago, probably 40 years ago. And, yes, um, this was an old, yeah, old document. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. but, but uh, they're doing that, they're, they're just basically confirming what other viewers have seen, along with Ingo Swan, and it, uh, it just gives some more uh, credibility to the oh, yes. remote viewing program they have, which they, never, they don't deny. They never deny it. I mean, they came out, was declassified after 25 years of being in service for the military, or not the military, but for the uh, government, uh, United States government, but they never actually denied they had such a program. And by the way, I forgot to mention, you are out there somewhere in Canada, correct? Yes. Um, my uh, headquarters for now is in Toronto. 
Toronto, Ontario, and um, right right uh, right in the middle of Toronto, basically. And but I do travel, and um, I have done uh, many seminars and programs on remote viewing, as well as lucid dreaming and out of body experiences, or on such topics. And I've gone to different places where people have basically um, acted as a uh, extension of myself, where they've put something together, and I'll go there and I'll do something. So that, I've done that quite a, for the last about 10 years, and I've been doing it more often the last few years. By the way, that CIA document, that was of uh, back in 1984. Yeah, so it's quite a while ago. Yeah, long time ago. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that that's also a really interesting document to see even to this day because it mm-hmm. solidifies a lot of a lot of the things that, you know, we talk about here or on other shows. So it's it's a very interesting thing to see. But of course, people often say you should be very wary of documents released by by the government. Well, when the government releases documents like on things that people already know, they don't got anything to gain. I mean, they're not going to admit to something that is, you know, they may they may detract or say they didn't have the program or was just like, you know, Teaching military people how to use tarot cards or whatever, or read palms. By the but way, which, normally, which were, we were supposed to do something like that here, an experiment of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, oh, can, well, yeah, let's go over that really quickly here. Well, it's, um, this is kind of like, um, uh, not, we haven't planned it. Um, and, uh, just your viewers, if anybody has uh, a deck of cards, uh, we're going to use that as a target. Or we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna use. Deck of, everybody has a deck. Well, I know you don't have one tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't find and one on me. That's, you know, most people have decks, and the reason why is because it's 52 cards and it's random. So basically, there is a methodology, right? There is a protocol. There is a, a procedure that was developed in the remote viewing uh, protocol, remote viewing, uh, seven stages to cut down to six, and each one, what it does, each protocol allows you to access or see more or get more information on what target you're trying to pick up. So cars are basically simple. Everybody has a deck, and um, this is just something that each person can try on their own. So if you have a deck, do you think we should start now, uh, Mike, on that? Or, sure, yeah, let's go ahead. Or give people a chance to get a deck? Or Yeah, let's, let's okay, take so, a moment here. Yep. All right. Let's see. If you have a deck, folks, right, basically... Any deck, you know, shuffle up the cards, and what they're going to do, basically, to the to the best uh, uh, best way they can follow the protocol of my instructions, that will determine whether their target card or whatever will manifest. And so, what I'm basically saying is that there's a certain procedure that I'll give each viewer, mm-hmm. but everybody is to find it. I mean, everybody is to have the same procedure. So basically, it's a standard um, uh, single test, um, it's a, a blind test, you can call it, on remote viewing. So everybody has a deck. Basically, Mike, what they're going to do is they're going to take any nine cards. I like the number nine for some reasons, and there is a mm-hmm. civilization that is just called a nine, but interpreted in English called the nine. So everybody take out nine cards from the deck and then fan the cards out, Mike, facing them. And then looking at the cards, now the... Left hand is connected to the right side of the hemisphere, right hand of the brain. So the left hand, yeah. all right, the, the left, what I like to do, to do is that the two, two hands, I like to look at the uh, cards on the left, the second card on the left, 
All right. Two, the second represents two hands. The left represents the right side of the brain. I like them to not take it out. Just memorize and look at the card and memorize what it is. All right. Now, somebody, if somebody was with them, they could be doing this as well. But presumably people are, you know, they're alone or whatever. So you look at the cards, folks. Look at the second card on the left, on your left. Close the fan, right? Put the cards in your palm of your hand. Now, everybody has a name. You know, whatever your name is, you're to count down the number of cards from your name. You know, Mike, four letters, you know, four cards. John, Jim, you know, uh, Amanda, whatever your name is, folks. You're to count down from the top, all right? From the top, you're supposed to count down from the top of the pack and place that number of cards on the table. All right, an amount of cards that are respective to your name. Okay, so if your name is Michael, seven cards on the table, and then take what you have in your hand and put it on that pile. Now, we're going to use the word love, okay? So, uh, example, Michael loves, so we're going to make it plural. Mm -hmm. I want you to take now from that pile and put that number of cards down, loves, L-O-V-E-S. All right, so you're basically going to count that amount of cards on the table, and then put the remaining cards on that pile, all right? Now you're going to take that pile, pile in your hand, okay? And you're going to think of someone that you love. Now this could be your girlfriend, your mother, a mentor. You're going to think of their name, all right? It could be anyone special in your life. Like uh, folks, you know, it could be anybody at all. It could be a, a, a pet. So basically you think of their name, you decide on their name, and then you're going to put that amount of cards on the table. So if it's, if you know, if you you know, if you got a cat, you know, and you call them, um, uh, you know, uh, Golden or Johnny or whatever their name is, you know, uh, Michael loves Samantha. You know, that's my example. So you're going to put that amount of cards. If it has five name, five letters or six letters, you're going to put that amount of cards on the table, and then you're going to put the remaining cards on that that pile. All right. So now. You've got the pile in your hand, okay? You're going to take the first three cards off the pile. pile yeah, first three cards at the top, okay? Now, mm -hmm. you're going to take those three cards, all right, and you'll put them aside. I don't see your card there, okay? Your card is not there. So you'll put the card, three cards aside. Now you're going to take the two at the top, put them aside, and I still don't see your card there, all right? Now you're going to take one more card off the top, okay? And I don't see your card there. Right now, you're going to take another card from that pile, okay, and you're going to turn it over, and that will be your card. Mm -hmm. That will be your card if you follow my instructions properly. So if hopefully, if anybody has done the experiment right, then they'll call back and maybe let us know what's happening, what, what happened. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Maybe so, someone is doing that at home. We'll find out. Yes, yes. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a protocol and a procedure. Everybody has a different name. Everybody will have someone else, the, the, the different letters and who they love, you know, whether it's a person, a situation, whatever, right? And in each respective case, it will be different. But if they have followed that protocol, then they can remove you. They can learn how to remove you. It may seem complicated, but it just needs practice. Now I wish I had a deck of cards. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's just, it's just a tool that I use to help with a simple target. Target being the card person that, you know, will not know where the card is after all this, you know, the names and everything, and then um, each thing represents a different protocol, and if it worked out, you know, um, 
then they, that that card should be their card. We definitely have to do this experiment over again. When yeah, I actually no have, a, yeah, we'll do this I again. I have other ones. I have other experiments. You know, I don't. I've never done this on the phone before. Like I mentioned to you. Yeah, sure. Earlier. I'm sure there might be a few people out there doing it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was very interesting. It's uh, yeah, like I said, you. too bad I don't have anything to test this out with. Yeah. But of I course, always keep a deck with you, Mike. It's always a handy thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. You might have someone knocking on your door. Yeah. And they're an angel who wants to play a game of poker. <laughs> you know, that's one one of the or things. I, yeah, that too. <laughs> one of the things I did want to get into it here with you about was your background as a magician. Mm-hmm. When did that love begin for you? Well, I guess you're very young, you know, and magic has a way of affecting the person's mind and senses. Well, I got into it once pretty young, you know, five, six years old, and I just realized that when I saw it, some, you know, what, what was the reason why it made the brain, you know, perceive things as it saw without actually being that or the opposite. So I got into it and I studied it, and um, I wouldn't actually say that I was really a professional magician. I just learned ways and methods of connecting with the person's brain or mind and use that as a way or a tool to modify their perception so that they would be open towards other things that would be different. I learned to utilize it as a tool, basically, to help act as an impetus, like to get people to open up their minds. Yes, and how long did this last for you? Well, I, I how long did it last? You mean as in as in career-wise, yes, career-wise, yes because I know you. Well, were, I did it for many years. Yeah, I I, I learned um, not just the the uh, illusion side, but also learned the um, you know how to handle the body and the mind, becoming an escape artist. And then I realized too, of course, that there was a real element to the mind that was. Um, beyond superficial magic that existed, you know, when I, when young started to have, um, OBEs and a lot of, uh, lucid dreams, mm-hmm. there was more to it than just, I mean, you know, it wasn't tricks. People experienced these things when they died, you know, the, the experience or the body experience or whatever, and, uh, occasions where they dreamt where it was very vivid and lucid, you know, and they thought that was a reality. And so there was more to it than I imagined. And I just basically got into it probably more. Heavily on that side when I was 24, when the first time I went to the Monroe. Very nice. What was your experience yeah. like for you there at the Monroe Institute? And I talk a lot about a lot of bit about dreaming and astral projection. So I would love to get into it here with you about this. Yeah, I went to the Monroe because I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn a methodology and how to control it or how to utilize it, how to eliminate my fear, uh, fear factor, fear barrier. It was a fear, you know, when I was starting to project. On a conscious level, um, of being, of dying or fear, you know, from other, um, you know, life forms. Were, were these reoccurring dreams that you were experiencing? There, there was, well, the dreams by themselves are reoccurring dreams that you'll have. And that's to help you solve a problem. But it wasn't the reoccurring dreams. It was the dreams that I woke up in where I thought I was awake and I realized that I was awake in the dream. Yes. And then I realized when I had the OBE, it was a similar thing, except I was not dreaming then. So I had a lot of experiences, and then after a little while, I developed enough technique and experience to determine, to ascertain whether I was having a lucid dream or not a body. It was very simple to determine that, but it took me years to be able to actually know 
what the differences would be because I, w- I would often think of one or the other, and I couldn't determine which one I was having until I went to the Monroe. And then I found from Mr. Monroe himself and from the training there that there's, you know, simple, simple clue that you can utilize to determine whether you're in one or the other state. But I was told not to worry about it. Just keep doing what I was doing, and eventually I would determine and I would develop enough uh, experience and techniques so I'd know the difference between OBEs and lucid dreaming. Yes, it seems like there's. But you are a, on the same coin, mm-hmm. the opposite side of the coin. It seems like there's a a lot of confusion about dreaming and astral projection and all these mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. things. And the difference between mm-hmm. normal sleep and astral projection basically is when you astral project, you are able to consciously control your soul and basically where it goes. Mm-hmm. To a degree, yes. Yeah, and astral projection basically just conscious sleep. So basically, mm-hmm. you. You know, fall asleep yes. and you wake it's, up before it happens. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, yeah. that's that sensation of your soul coming back to your body when you wake up there, mid-sleep there. Always a, well, a very fun yeah. feeling, of that that sensation of free-falling. Yes. It's always nice. Yes. Or, or at least in yeah. my opinion, it's very nice. And um, that that also that also makes me uh, think about one other thing I, I had in mind. And I've been having difficulty for about uh, this issue here for... Maybe a number of years now. I, of course, mm-hmm. have been astral projecting for a, a, a quite a bit of time now. Mm-hmm. However, my problem is I, I never understand how these things even begin. I, I, I have a hard time remembering it. Even, even lucid dreaming and just regular, well, Sometimes you could just have a dream and it's not very lucid at times, you could say. But mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. there's times when they're just extremely lucid. And, of course, when they are um, kind of rough, you could say, you can even wake up in tears because it's so mm-hmm. real. Yes. And have you ever had that before? Oh, yes. Many times. And in the beginning, when I was having experiences, I couldn't tell the difference between having an OBE or it was a dream. But I, you know, after a little while, a couple of years, it took me, and after I found out from the Monroe, I was able to determine one or the other. So there are very dreams that are very vivid, but they're not lucid. Mm-hmm. Our dreams that are lucid, maybe not as vivid, but then there are dreams that are very vivid and very lucid, where you know you're dreaming, you know you're at home and sleeping in that bed at the hotel, wherever you are, and you can pinch yourself, doesn't do nothing to you. You can feel the energy on that side. So there are ordinary dreams, uh, Mike, and there are non-ordinary dreams that I would classify where you're in that state of, of existence in another energy system where other people also dreaming who are in that state could meet you on that level. And then the OBs are a little, are a little bit different too. So I, I learned techniques consciously, how to consciously get myself in those states and try to have that experience, right, and bring back some information that could help you. So say, for example... You go, to, you go to Disneyland, right? You go to Disneyland, you take a plane, mm-hmm. you go there for a week or whatever, you come back. Now, you've had a great time, right? But you may not have learned anything, right? You understand what I'm saying? Right. A lot of people have OBEs and lucid dreams, but they're not learning anything per se, but they're having a real good experience, hopefully. Uh, you know, it could be scary too, of course. Yeah, but they're but not taking you, anything out of that for any yeah, kind of that, beneficial Well, that's reason. the thing, you know, you don't have to learn as you go. I mean, you will learn as you go, but what I'm saying is that you don't always have to have information that you take back. You may have had a great trip, for example, through sure. the lucid dreaming and a healing experience too, which is good. So, you know, but there are, the, the trick is to try to go to a place or meet someone 
or you can actually take back information that is usable or doable or that's something that you can use now in your life. That is the tricky part of it, be able to do that. Yes. So it's like you've got to connect with people, beings, celestial beings, uh, other dimensional beings, and so on and so forth, that can give you some knowledge and teachings that will help you on that level. So it took me years to be able to get to that level where I met a mentor or beings that were willing to teach me and share with me information that would be usable in the non-physical as well as the physical, right? So that's the trick to be able to do And you can do it, but you have to ask for it. People don't understand, Mike, that you have to have the intent, the intention to connect with other life forms and beings, you know, that will help you in your personal and spiritual development, so on and so forth. Yes. Now, people also often wonder if there are any dangers of astral projection. Um, I think the only danger is waking up in tears. Well, you know, you might wake up in tears, you know, whatever. It was a, usually a good experience, you know, and it's very emotional. But, there, you know, I, I don't know, and this is something that I found a long time ago, you don't know of any people that have died actually through having an out-of-body experience and not coming back. Correct. As they do, of course, they don't come back to tell you, right? But there are <laughs> yes. cases, of course, where people have NDEs, the experiences where they do die and they do come back and they feel terrific or they have a different perception of life. There's a lot of cases like that. There might be the case, of course, too, where people do have them and it doesn't change them at all. It may make, make them worse. But for the majority of people or case studies that I've, I've, I've experienced or seen or heard, a lot of people will have that and they'll come back a changed person, different perception, no fear of death. So I think that there is a terrific benefit from it knowing that you're more than your physical self, oh, that yes. you're more than your physical body, and that you can access other energy systems, you know, and uh, it's a, just a terrific thing that you can do, and you're doing it already. So why not, you know, I, I try to share and teach people how to become more conscious, how to be more conscious when they're having the experience. That's the, and that that's way, the tricky part. Well, that's the tricky part. For but me, it's it is. absolutely doable and learnable because it's inherent, and it's like you go to a party, you have too many drinks. Now you come home, you got a hangover. Now you know you had a great time and you know some good things happened, but you don't quite know what. Exactly. That's how it is yes. every day for people who have an OPE. Mm -hmm. They don't quite remember, but so, but why, why not have more conscious recollection? So we're spending 30% of our time sleeping anyway. Why not utilize that time, that waking state? So sometimes, Mike, I feel like I haven't slept for days or weeks. I have physically rested. It's not going to take away your energy, Mike. It's not going to prevent you from getting rested or restful, but you will have more conscious recollection. So it seems that you've learned more in a shorter amount of time. Yes, and... Experienced I, or learned more in a shorter amount of time. I do want to go over a couple of techniques here. One of the very first techniques I ever learned was, of course, by Robert Bruce, the famous mm -hmm. rope technique, of course, where you use the imaginary rope hanging from the ceiling. Oh, yes. Yes, it's a very... Yeah. Yeah, very yeah, classic. Yeah, one of my technique. techniques that I, yeah, that I realized myself about 25 years ago. Yeah, that, that I've shared that technique with people and you can try it out. The thing is, I was yeah. naturally able to do this, uh, astral project naturally. I, mm -hmm. I had no idea I was doing it though, but now, yeah, nowadays, be, yeah, yeah, nowadays I, I use different, different techniques developed by Robert Bruce. And I think some of those are really effective and really easy. Yeah, so what you do, what you do, Mike, right? You just get a real rope. Real rope, right? And you put it in your bedroom and you attach it to the ceiling, right? Just, you know, find a connection or whatever. Oh, attach yes. a real rope that's on your ceiling that's about two feet from where you're sleeping, 
Now, you know it's there. It's a real rope. You know it's there, right. That helps you. Yeah, and what you do is you grab that rope before you sleep and make sure it's well situated on your ceiling. You don't want to pull pull down the ceiling, right? (laughs) And what you do is you want to get a feel and a vibe of the rope on both your ends, all right? And then you just go to sleep and you tell yourself that when you get in a particular state, right, where you think you're awake, you're going to grab the rope and pull yourself up, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't want to, you want to make sure that the rope is on a beam in the ceiling because I've mentioned this to a couple of fellows and they have brought down the ceiling literally over them. They thought they were non-physical and they were pulling the rope really in real, in real time, real physical time, and they actually brought a part of the ceiling down. So you want to make sure that <laughs> you put it on a beam yes, or you have it connected some, somehow, some way where it's solid so that you can roll it pretty well. If you can, you should be able to find a way to pull it without actually raising yourself off the bed, but still give yourself some leverage where it has enough strength where you can kind of get that feeling of coming off the bed a little bit. And then that will go sink into your subconscious mind so that when you do fall asleep, you will act, that rope will act as a trigger. You grab the rope, pull yourself up to the ceiling, and then you realize when you, when you do that, you're not physical because you know, technically, unless you're a real good athlete, you're not going to be able to, even then, you're not going to be able to pull yourself out of bed to the ceiling within a matter of seconds or whatever because you're half asleep, right? Or not even barely awake. So that rope acts as a trigger. If you can pull yourself up there, then you know you've shifted, you've projected. I used that a few times myself, but I haven't used it for decades. But I did, that was one of the techniques that I did mention to my to my students. Oh yes, and you mentioned your students. How often are you talking to these set students? Well, I people write to me, they get back to me, and I've, I've done a lot of programs in in uh, North America, and um, I have people that write to me, get back to me. But I'm not always in communication with everybody, right? But basically, I have a, a, a form that I'm developing um, called the Obinots. And uh, it's going to be a, you know, um, kind of a meeting site that I have to put together so that people who are taking the program, whether they're taking it with me or not, um, then they can kind of get together and we can do targets. So I'm trying to work on that right now. And I'm trying to also get my... Uh, you know, do some more programs in Canada and in the States. Uh, people won't connect as much sometimes on the physical. Well, you'd be surprised that people do connect on the non-physical. So I actually tell folks um, how to connect when they fall asleep and how to meet other uh, people that have, you know, taken my pro- programs, including myself, how to connect in, in that non-physical state and how to meet that person there, whether it's lucid dreaming or not, or ought to be. OB, but they have to be specific in which one they're going to use once once they develop that difference, you know, and you and you can learn that yes. pretty quick. Took me took me two three years, Mike, to be able to know the difference between projection and lucid dreaming. But when I explain it to individuals what matter what the various um uh various differences are, then they can pretty well pick up on it pretty quick. Very nice. By the way, I've also seen you mention the park before in your email. I'm sorry, the what? The park. Robert Monroe, yes. Robert Monroe coined oh. many different, uh, physical or non-physical planes and. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. Summerland, Winterland, uh, Summerland, Winterland, those are different places. Um, uh, Summerland is a very nice place, it's just a term given to a place where, uh, it's nice, you know, uh, the, uh, it's like being on Hawaii, you know, Hawaii, like there's lots of, you know, trees, flora, fauna, um, places, um, 
they have meeting places, uh, buildings, but they don't look the same exactly. Um, you can sleep if you want to, if you feel that you're tired. You can sleep. There's actual, there's, there's things that look like food that you can eat to help you with your energy. Um, these are things that you can't just eliminate right away when you phase out in the second stage permanent on a, on a longer stay basis when you, you know, when you pass on. And, uh, so Summerland is a nice place. It's bright, nice, enjoyable, uh, positive. And Winterland is a place where, um, people go to that are, uh, consciously, what you would call consciously evil. So people that have a psychological, like, or a, uh, chemical or, uh, a reason mm. for not acting, you know, or the way they want to be, the way they want to be, they're not going to go to Winterland. There's compassion here, right? And there's hospitals and people. There's compassion there. So if you have a problem, they're going to treat you there. And it's like, like a hospital, but it's not a regular hospital. Um, but it looks like that, but not quite the same. And Winterland is for people that do conscious evil or acts that are, um, you know, evil is not the way we think about it and, and exactly, but people that are used and abused their power and positions. So they go to a place called Winterland. And this place could take on the, the, um, it could take on the physical appearance of being, um, can you imagine being, um, in a, uh, in a snowstorm where it's snowing and, and there's no end to it? Oh, the Can you imagine how that would be? That'd be terrible. And you, yeah, of course. And they, and they feel that energy. Now also, how would it be like if you were to live a hundred earth years in the desert, all sand and you can't get out and you're dying of thirst and you can't get out? All right, that's another aspect of Winterland. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine walking in a in a place in a desert too, where it's like, say for example, another planet like Mars, where all the terrain is like that, and and there, but there's no getting out of that terrain. Now, in those three different locales, right? On okay, on locale two, locale two being a non-physical universe, right? And locale one is the non-physical universe. Locale two, there's all there there there's these places here, and there's other beings there too. Like there's other beings there, of course. Lots of other Earth people are beings that get regulated there or relegated there, I should say. And and it's just a it's like a madhouse, right? And and those those out of those three locales, I have experienced all those three locales, but I'm not physically deceased. That's how I know. Yeah, it just seems same thing with Summerland. I've experienced different locales in Summerland. So I gave you one example. Yeah, there, this seems very ha- very difficult to get into those states, those levels. Uh, well, well, someone that hasn't done it for years, I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of easy because, you you know, it's not impossible, though, Mike. The thing is, like, if you go to a gym, you can't expect to lift press oh, 250 pounds right. right in the beginning. But you start off at 75, you will hit 120, you will hit 160, you will hit 185, 220. And then you will hit 220, then you will hit 250 because you are practicing and strengthening your physical muscles. It's the same thing with the mind. Just takes a regulated, disciplined approach. And you're already doing it. So that gives you and others, everyone, a great advantage because they're doing it, but they're doing it on an unconscious level. So they're experts at it. But when they become conscious, all of a sudden they can't walk because they're trying to walk with their legs when they're in a non-physical or in a dream. And you're not walking, you're not, you're not, there's no messages from the brain, signals telling the physical legs to move because there is no legs. So you've got to learn to walk, to move with your mind by willing it, right? Yes, and of so course we're talking about... So when I first about... started to do it, Mike, oh, I was uh... like drunk, I was like drunk. I was <laughs> yes. so disoriented 
Plus, I had double vision for years because I'm in the second state. I couldn't see properly. I could move properly. Sometimes I felt very light, and sometimes I felt like I weighed a ton. And that was because I took too much dense matter back from the physical body to the non-physical. Yes. But I would tell people to just start off at the beginning and learn mm-hmm. the lucid dreaming. There'll be, and, and it, it just takes a little discipline to do every night. Yeah. It takes five, ten minutes every night, but people's tired. What about people's those? Bad and they'll sleep right away. Yes. What about those people that claim not to dream at all? Well, no, they do dream. Yeah, they know they're, they, they, yeah. they, they, they do you know dream. they're dreaming. They just don't but... remember their dreams. Yeah, they just don't remember their yeah. dreams. But of course, if they're around doing their work, then they, they pretty well know that I mean, I mean, you know, if you don't dream after four days, uh, you technically would start to become insane because you start hallucinating. So people don't remember their dreams because they're in a deep sleep, right? And but they do, are, they are running rapid eye movement was associated with dreaming and the theta state. So yeah, they, REM sleep. they do dream, mm-hmm. see, but you see, they don't remember it because because they're not allocating enough willpower or intent to remember. So I remember my dreams every night, and you probably you probably have a good recall too. I'm not wrong. Every now and then, I yes. Dreams pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, the, so here's the them. here's the problem with me though. When I do have these lucid dreams, it's either I'm remembering the middle and that's it, or I'm remembering the beginning that's, of the dream. Now, well, yeah. that was the very difficult part for me. Actually, I wasn't able to uh, recollect the beginning of of those experiences at all, and it took me a long time. But once I finally did, um, I missed the middle part. It's like those bits and yeah. pieces of fragments are just lost in time somehow. Yeah, it's like, it's like going to that party I mentioned that where you drink too much right. and you remember what's happening. Well, you know what? It's just intention, Mike. If you were to write down in the morning or afternoon or when you wake up, have a little notepad and just jot down some of your feelings and visuals in your dream on a, on a, on a, little, on a book, a little pad, what that does is that that will cause you to remember your dreams more. It, it causes the subconscious saying you realize that you want serious and wanting to remember your dreams. And by writing what you remember, you remember more and more. And then after a while, you'll start developing a better dream recall. There's other techniques too, but that's probably the best one. Eh? Just to simply write them down. No judgmental or trying to interpret your dreams. You're just simply writing down that I dreamt this, I dreamt that, this is how I felt, and that's it. And then you'll find that eventually that your recall within a very short period of time, you will remember much more. Now, I do want to ask you about dream telepathy. Is it possible <sighs> to have a shared dream experience with, say, a friend? Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, but you how do we absolutely do that? How do we bring this upon us, however? I, I would love to do this. Well, you, you, you can do it. First, you know, it, 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 real time, you both have to be asleep at the same time. Okay, for mm-hmm. now, you, you you know you go to bed at 11, your friend goes to bed at 1 or 2, that's fine. After 90 minutes, right, of sleep, that's when your first dream cycle begins. And then after three hours of sleeping, all right, that's when your, your dreaming capacity doubles, it geometrically increases after three hours. What, what that means is that you will have one short dream for 30 seconds. Ah, uh, yes. And then, a, a, then a minute of nothing, and then three minutes. And then one minute, 30 seconds, whatever time is different in the dream state, of course, right? But what I'm saying is that you will actually physically, your recall doubles after three hours and increases throughout the night into the morning. So knowing that information, you and your friend, where you want to connect, you would time that so that you would focus on that person and they would focus on you 
connect while you're in that state, okay? And then that's when you do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is simple. It is sounds simple, of course, but it's not necessarily simple because same thing with the weights. You can't go in a gym expecting someone who's never worked out to lift the press 250 right. pounds Takes or whatever. Of, yes. They have to Takes start. Time. But you know what? You may, yeah, you may see them in the dream doing something and vice versa. It's just a small thing. All right, you both write down what you had the dreams of your encounters, and then you both show your report to each other at the same time, and then you will see something there that actually corresponds to what you had happen to you at that moment. I'm gonna have to so try that's to. You do it. Yeah, I'm gonna try to I've experiment. I've everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've of everybody. Many people that I've known, I've connected with them in the dream state. In the astral plane. Uh, yeah. Without telling them because they, they don't know, you know, and then they tell me the next day, well, I jumped to you, Mike, and then I showed them this thing, you know, what happened. Very interesting. I'm going to have to try an experiment myself. Yeah, but you need to have, of course, someone who's going to work with you, right? That will, oh, of that course, will double yeah. your chances. Oh, yes. Yes. Takes two. Takes two to tangle. To tangle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And by the way, I must mention, I, I always, I always see that photo of you and that mullet, and I'm, I, Got to give you some credit there. You were rocking the mullet very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, yes. Seems like those were, were great times for you. Yeah, they were. And I'm hoping I'm hoping for new great times to come. Oh, yes, they certainly will. It's been a little difficult for me for the last uh, probably three and a half years. I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time, Mike, that uh, my what? mother passed on. Yeah, what's been going on with you? What, what's the update? So your mom passed away. Yeah, and um, I've just basically been trying to uh, do what I can, uh, focus on what I can do, and uh, I want to be able to share with what I have and know mm-hmm. to help people connect, uh, especially in this trying times right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not a political person, but there is a lot of unusual things happening right now. Uh, Politics-wise, I'm sure everybody knows yeah. what I'm talking about. There really is. And I think we just got to try to become as aware as possible. Some people are frightened by what's happening. And some people realize that they got to make some changes in themselves so they connect connect more with universal laws and power, you know, to be able to develop some ability to be able to change the future or be able to make a better present. Yeah, and I was just about to get into the current, I guess you could say the landscape of of the political realm here in the United States, and I think you sort of summed it up just a bit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people really have to focus on on their inner selves to get along with other people, to work with other people, and work, you know, focus really hard on trying to make a better present. And you know, things look uh, look kind of uh, how shall I put it? Um, there's a, a looming darkness. A little grim, yes. That's there in the, in the, in the future, but things will get better, and there's great hope, I feel, for change. Positive change. Yeah, I'm optimistic you myself. Know. And being from Canada, um, what, what's the general perspective on Donald Trump, if you don't mind me asking? Well, uh, I guess there's a lot of, uh, how shall I put it, a lot of incredibility, or there's a lot of, um, amazement that somebody uh, of his uh, background would become president. But on the other hand, uh, Justin Trudeau never been in politics either, and he was voted prime minister because of his father. Right. Here we have two people, Trudeau and Trump, 
who've never run for politics, one's president, one the other prime minister, just have very strange balance, and there's a very strange thing that's going on. And there's a reason for his being there, Trump and Trudeau, at this time. Both letters start with T, both neither. Um, they came from parents that were immensely wealthy, born with a silver spoon, and there's a reason there's something going on. And I think that testing a lot of faith and opening and waking people up, opening their eyes and waking them up from what's happening in the physical known, you know, universe. And there's just something there, a little nefarious or diabolical, but there's a reason for it happening. And, it, and things are going yes. to swing. Pendulum's going to swing in another direction soon. And I could make a prediction about Trump. And really? Trump. And you got a prediction for but, us? Well, I don't know if I should mention it, but. Uh, I know what I'm picking up and what I sense and what I see is that Trump won't survive two years in the presidency. Oh, you think he's going to get impeached? Well, well, let me see. Uh, impeached? Um, assassinated? Oh, okay. You're going that uh, route with us. Yeah, that's, yes. And so I projected into that, and I actually saw him winning three months before he did, even though it was against all the odds. Yeah. And if I'd put a bet on Las Vegas, I would have won quite a bit. Because he had a thousand to one odds <laughs> right. to become president. Can you believe yeah. it? I, I, you put a thousand dollars there, you would have walked away with a hundred thousand. It was ridiculous. I, I had no idea that he would actually become the president. And I've said this time yeah. and time again, I don't really have a dog in the fight. But personally, I've, I've never really liked yeah. Donald Trump since the very first yeah. time I saw him. It was back yeah. in... Well, I had known about him for a, w a while now, but what really just irked me was, I believe it was 2005 when I would say that was kind of the conception of the reality TV era. And I believe that's kind of when we saw a lot of Donald Trump. He's kind of a yes, part of that. And you know what it is? He, he represents, um, and I'm, I'm not uh, ashamed to say it, but he represents the worst that a human being, a man, could offer in life and have that position of power. And I say that not because I'm prejudiced or against him or whatever, but I'm basing that on facts of his life for the last 30 years. Well, you have and the right to your opinion. If anyone wants to okay. me, they can just check it up. Pardon? I said you have the right to your opinion. That's that's totally fine. Absolutely, yes. But yeah, he has okay. his his uh, attributes and integrity or conscience. Um, he seems to lack a lot of these things, and it's apparent. I mean, I don't have to make it up. It's apparent uh, how he treats people and talks to people and so on and so forth. I'm thinking that there's got to be a reason why he was picked, and so there is a reason there. And it, it's very uh, nefarious, but something will come out of it. Whether it's going to be good or bad, I can't quite say. And we'll see what happens when the dust settles, correct? Yeah, but you can also sense, too, sometimes what it's going to look like after the dust settles. Right? Is the building going to still be there? Is the tree going to still be there? You know, how strong is your foundation, right? How weak yeah, is it? it's, um, so you it's interesting. So you interpretations you can make, yeah. We're, it's it's very early on in the game, Yeah. but yeah. for sure there's something brewing. I, I, I have that feeling yes. too. Yeah, I've had I've had dreams of Trump. Oh, really? And you I had? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I want to. Oh, I know, but I I've know. I've had dreams <laughs> of the present, <laughs> of the past, and future. That's pretty scary, yes. It is, yeah, but I try not to uh, get me too down. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, you know, going back to the whole reoccurring dream, one of those dreams that I, I have that is pretty reoccurring is this sort of alien invasion scenario that 
um, seems to go on mm-hmm. many times in, in my life. It, it's I've had this dream maybe six times, six times now. And it's frightening, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And the dream you're trying to survive or escape or go hide or whatever, and you can't. I can't. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm running around and. Other there are people? these, yeah. There's other people there, and there are these like droids going around shooting these these uh, projectiles at people. And yeah, of course, there's yeah. UFOs in the sky shooting. Yeah, well, projectiles. You know uh, Mike, I think that's probably a scenario that is not impossible. And on all likelihood, you're recording this now. Something that will happen in the future. However, it won't happen soon, but it will probably occur in our lifetime. Unfortunately, I, I wish I did not say that, but it's not an ordinary dream you're having. And I'm sure uh, positive that there are hundreds of thousands or millions of other people that have had similar dreams, but they're looking at it just as a dream, and they have it more than once. And it's not like you're being stimulated to have the dream because you just saw, you know, uh, a hostile takeover by aliens on TV, right, or a movie. Yes. You'll have the dreams when you haven't seen any movies like that whatsoever, right? Exactly, yeah. My and mind was non-corrupted. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. tremendous anxiety you have in a dream, and I can absolutely relate to you with you saying that. And there is some unusual thing there that's happening, and people are picking up on a powerful, uh, relatable future that will or can or can or will occur. And because it's so strong, many people will have it, and they'll have it more than once because you're, you're picking up an aspect of a, of a, of a potential future. And the more times you have it, then odds are that it's a it's just a strong signal that it will occur. And there's nothing that we can do about it. So what we can say to Mike is that what can we do about it now to develop some knowledge or information or power that would help us to, you know, survive that and also to help others in the process. Yeah, these are premonition dreams. Yeah. Very, exactly. very but, scary. But it's not, it's not this soon to be future, but let me put it this way. If you're an extraterrestrial and you live for centuries, Right, or even a millennium or whatever. It's a very near. But for us, we're talking about decades, right? I'm talking about, you know, 30, 40 years. Right. But that's not a long time. It's a long, it seems like a long time for us, but it's not. But to an immortal or an alien, it would seem like just around the corner. So some people may get this message in a dream, you know, it's about to happen. Speaking of which, have you, still time. Yeah, have you ever encountered any kind of extraterrestrial present in the astral plane? Well, yes, of course. Absolutely, yes. What about the reptilian? Are they also in dreams? Or not dreams, in the astral plane, rather. I haven't uh, met them that I can consciously recollect, but I have met other beings because maybe it's because I don't want to meet the reptilians or those beings in the OB state or in the lucid dream state, the non-ordinary dreams. That's probably good you haven't. Yeah, that's right. But I really probably wouldn't want to meet them. Uh, It's not that it would terrify the heck out of me, but I would rather not probably correspond with them unless they were a being that were uh, benevolent, you know, and benign. So I haven't really met anything of the lizard race or whatever, even though I know they're Mm -hmm. around, they exist. But I have met other life forms that are more humanoid and not as, uh, you know, not as scary looking as as dinosaurs, walking dinosaurs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All of that is very interesting to me. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of beings you can meet in that state. Absolutely. Through the lucid dream state, honor in your dream state and also the uh, OB state. Once you start having those states enough time, you'll get their attention. Yeah, those are because you're you're crossing into different mind. dimensions there. Yes, that's right. We're multidimensional, so you're 
emanating the different frequency that they'll pick up and they're looking for. So they will be drawn to you. Maybe not right away, but after enough times, they will come to you. If it hasn't happened yet, they will come. Yeah, I, I, the way I see it, that. yeah, the way I see it, that we're already like in the lower astral plane, basically. And these other in, we're in, not at the lowest. We're we're not at a high. We're not lowest. Either. Middle ground, you think? Lower, middle ground, yes. Yeah, I just maybe figured, a little bit above middle, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit above middle ground, like intermediate even. After the atom bomb, nuclear bomb was developed in 45, or when the first one was dropped, I think we hit the intermediate level there. And that's when they, a lot of them were getting our, you know, getting our attention. They were getting, you know, uh, yeah, noticing that we're, you know, coming up with this energy. So we passed the, you know, adolescent, adolescent stage, adult, you know, and that's probably when we hit the, uh, intermediate stage of development and evolvement, except we don't have the wisdom to apply that energy. Yet. I'm going to switch gears just uh, slightly here and going back to extraterrestrials. Have you ever seen any strange lights in the sky yourself growing up uh, or later on in life, Michael? You know, I've seen uh, well, I've seen a lot of lights. You know the lights are different in the sky when they start moving around like they're dancing almost. Right. Like they're moving here and there. Sure. So I had a lot of dreams like that when I was really young, looking up at the night sky and seeing a bunch of stars dance like moving here and there, you know, and then in real life, I did those lights as well in Fort Burr, Alberta. When I went up there, uh, my father took us up there, me and my two sisters, 12 years old, and, uh, you know, dark skies are pretty, you know, not, not too much uh, light pollution. Yeah, it must I be beautiful it. out there, by the way, where you're at. Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah, well, Toronto, not exactly, you know, you have to drive a little bit out of Toronto. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This, because you know I'm pretty well in the middle of Toronto, West Annex area. But if you just go out here, you know, an hour away, you, there are places where there's no light pollution. Ah, I see. And you get a lot more better visuals, mm-hmm. even at the beach, just not too far from here. But when there's no, you know, light pollution, you can get a good, you know, see lights in the sky. You know, it's not a, a satellite because satellites do not uh, go backwards and sideways sure. and up and down. So it's, I'd have a lot of those dreams, and then a hundred of those dreams, and then I eventually saw it happen in real life, and then that's when I saw the lights get bigger. Other things happened after that. It's a good sign, by the way, if you have dreams of that. If you dream of lights moving in the sky at night, or dancing, or moving, you know, multiple ones, and you see these extremely unusual images in the sky, looking at the, the city, a large ship, you know, um, all these other things that I all see, you know, in the dream state. A lot of people have those. It's a good sign that you may have a physical encounter one day coming up. Yeah, it's all... Very, very fascinating, and, and of course, it all goes along with seeing is believing. So, yes, well, it should be right, but not always. Not always, <laughs> yeah. That's not always the people, case. People have said that. That's the thing about magic. You know, you see something, and, and you're deceived. Uh, you see something, and you don't believe it, but you know you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that will see something, and they don't believe it. <laughs> That's very true. By the way, when we were talking about the park earlier, of course. We were describing focus levels, and the park is one that's just way out there, in yes, my opinion. Yeah. And I, I just wanted yeah, to clear. Summerland has a lot of different right. facets, has I, a thousand, mm-hmm. thousand different um, aspects to humanity, civilizations, but they're all positive. And then Winterland will have a lot of negative connotations of civilizations, you know, on that level. Yes, I wanted to clarify that just quickly here about those focus levels for those who were a little confused about what we we were referring to. Of course, those are all terms coined by Robert Monroe. Yes, yes. 
yeah, Lokal 2 is a non-physical universe, and then there are many different um, areas around there. Uh, and then Lokal 1 is the non-physical universe, and then uh, basically just giving a modern, you know, term to these locales or systems. Energy systems are could be physical and non-physical, and uh, better to use those terms, I think, than yeah. to use, uh, you know, astral is okay, astral plane, but it really doesn't give an idea what kind of plane it is, right? Especially with the different terminologies used now with astral today. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty neat that Mr. Monroe came up with these various terms. I think so too, and they're very accurate in my opinion. Yeah, he'll call the astral body, he'll call that the second body, or right. the energy body, mm-hmm. which sounds more accepting, right? Sounds a lot uh, more professional too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That you, that's it. You got it. Yeah. Yes. And another thing I did want to go over here with you was, of course, nightmares. How does one prevent nightmares? It seems like, I guess you could say, more than half of adults experience nightmares. Often, they even call them nightmare rides. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a nightmare, you may have a common denominator nightmare. You may have a repetition of the same nightmare in some way. So what you simply do is say to yourself that next time I have this nightmare, I will become awake and aware in that nightmare. I will become awake and aware while I'm having this nightmare, and I will take control of it. So you look at the common denominator that you have, and you tell yourself that you want to dream that nightmare today again, or you, when you do have it, you will know that you're dreaming, and you will wake up in that dream and that nightmare, and then you will take control of it. So... Well, it may sound simple, and it is really. It just takes a, the it just takes the um, confidence of the person to know that they can have that happen, and they can control it, knowing they have that particular nightmare, so they can anticipate it and, and then give themselves that posted suggestion by saying that next time I see this, I'll know I'm in a nightmare, I'm experiencing it, and I will wake up in a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So you're using intent, you're using uh, you know suggestion. And, you know, if you follow that course within a very short time, you know, it could be that very night or two nights, three nights, four nights, five nights. It will happen, though. You will have the nightmare, of course, and then you will wake up or become partially conscious, and then you can turn that nightmare around, right? I I can't say how you can do it, but you can become aware and know that it's, you know, you can, uh, you know, twist the situation, alter the outcome or whatever to your liking, and then once you do that, then... You'll eliminate the nightmare. Yes, and I had this experience with something called the gin, and I know mm-hmm. I'm sure you're very familiar. Well, I was having this sort of gin. Entity. Well, I'm, I'm a Scotch fan myself, Mike. I like to uh, Scotch, <laughs> you know. <What>? Oh yes, <laughs> of course. I'm talking about the Arabian, uh, yeah, <laughs> supernatural creature there from okay. mythology. Yes, but <laughs> yes, the gin. I was actually having this strange experience with, with this entity that kept appearing in, in a nightmare I was having. And I was having this reoccurring nightmare with this, with, with this thing that I had no idea even existed until I talked a little bit about it to a friend of mine mm-hmm. and I described this thing I was seeing and he told me, you're seeing this thing called the djinn. And I thought, what the hell is that thing? So of course I looked online and I did some research, and of course, I've mentioned it to Robert Bruce, another guy that I I often talk about here and re- mm-hmm. refer to. Um, he told me to do some sort of, I think, uh, some sort of ritual, some sort of 
better banishing ritual, I think it's called. And mm-hmm. I was sort of hesitant of that because I, I thought, well, I could just face this thing in, in my dream and it pretty much echoes with what you were just speaking about right now. I mustered up enough courage and faced this thing myself and it actually went away eventually. Well, um, knowing you had that experience, right? Yeah, I just don't understand why. That, that, well, well, some, a person uh, will constitute a dream, a nightmare, if it's negative or scary. But you're saying it was a nightmare. Now, so it you was, must have been, yeah. your emotions must have been uh, altered, and you noticed that when you woke up, right? There was a fear level there. Oh, yes. So maybe the dream is not really a bad thing. Um, maybe if you had taken, you know, more conscious control, you could have acted gin, right? What do they want? Yeah, it could be or both they, good. And, and, yeah, it could be both good and evil, from what I well, remember well, reading. Well, yeah, you know, you could ask her what it wants. It might, might come to you and ask you what do you want. So it could be a, an energy form or a life form that's coming to you in that state, of willing to give you information and other uh, aspects of your uh, being, make them reveal them to help you on your mission. So fear doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad situation, right? Fear doesn't necessarily mean that it's a nightmare. It's only that the fear is there, but it could also constitute a growth spurt or it could also constitute uh, accessing other energy levels or beings of yourself or your super higher self or some real entity that could actually grant you a boom or give you something that would help you. So I tell your your listeners not always to be afraid if you if you have fear, it doesn't mean necessarily that's a nightmare. It could be, but the fear could be a good sign that you're coming to a threshold of ruining something new. And I, I myself would jump into the fear as a pool of water. I, you know, lots of fear, and I'll just take that. I'll just do it because I know I'm not going to die, right? Uh, that's in the physical, in the dream state or OB state. Right. And if there is fear there, that means that that something good there could come about, you know, or whatever. It's not like I'm being chased by a gun. Or something where you're not gonna, you know, run towards the assailant with a gun or whatever. But that state, you're pretty well, you know, you're you're kind of much more malleable and indestructible, and it's not like you can get physical harm or even non-physical harm. But the fear could be just a sign of like, you know, taking the next step. You know, like being afraid of it. You're in grade four, mm-hmm. you have a fear of getting into grade five, right? Anticipation or you know whatever it might be. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, so you have that, you know, uh, some people want to grow, you know, and they, they don't want to go to college because they did grade 12, and they just have a fear of losing or a fear of not getting what they want to get, you know, um, so they won't do it. Not yes. realizing that they just surmount that, it'll dissipate very quickly, the fear, and then they can grow and learn. So fear doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a bad thing or you should have a flight or fight response. If, you know, it could just be an indication at times, many times, where that's a good sign you have it, and it means for you to go ahead and do it. Because once you bypass that fear, you'll see there was nothing really to fear about. And it's an extension of you. So the jinn could have been an aspect of yourself, your higher mind or another being, actual separate being that was there to help you. So, yeah. level. so if you want to reconnect with that, Mike, right. tell yourself tonight or tomorrow, i like to see the jinn in my dream, and when I do, I will be aware that I'm dreaming and I'll talk to him. That's a I'll good idea, to. actually. I'll, I'll try that's that way tonight, actually. That's right. That's, a, that, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I'll see if I could conjure this thing up again. You could. You could. Yeah, that's your trigger. The, that gin is your trigger. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try because I this thing definitely was appearing in my dreams a, a number of times. Yeah, 
So if you call it for it, it will come to you. Well, it's a well, it's it's a two way street. If you want something, it'll give you something. Uh, very interesting. So, yeah, that's that's what I would uh, recommend. You give it a shot. I'm gonna have to and. Once again, Michael, I, I must say I'm deeply sorry about your mother's passing. Oh, yeah, I miss my mother. I dream about her four or five times a week. I was just going to say, have you yeah. tried to maybe contact her somehow? Oh, yeah, I've done that. I did that a long time ago. Oh, you already did? Oh, yeah, yeah, long time ago, yeah. Oh, well, that, that's good that you have that connection yeah. again with her. Yeah, I I have that connection, right, and... When I have that connection, I'm in that state. It feels just like I'm in the physical. But then, of course, when I become more, when I wake up in the physical, in this reality, um, then I notice the difference between the two. But I do have it, and I, I dream of her. Well, I see her in dreams, and we do, we're do doing things in the dreams. I have it sometimes four or five, six times a, a week. So you're having these discussions and, about your life with her, with your mother, well, I, yeah, like, it's I like, reckon. It's, yeah, we're talking about different things, and she's giving me console and she's giving me her opinion and advice and, and uh her wisdom it, it, well my mother was very she only went to grade five right oh really but i used to tell her she's yeah because she had to leave school to work you know to help her support her mother and her sisters and stuff oh wow yeah her father had died he had been a police officer he was shot in the leg and he developed gangrene and the gangrene Spread. That was big agitated, but it traveled yeah. up to his heart. I see, yes. And, uh, so she had to leave school for grade five, but she was smarter. I told her that she was smarter than some students that, you know, today that took grade 10, right? And that's true what I'm saying, right? Because a lot of students don't seem to learn. Very true. Whatever, yeah. right? So I said to her, look, mom, imagine if you had gone to grade 10. It'd be like going to grade 20. <laughs> she's, she's probably smart in her own ways. Yes, she was very, mm-hmm. yeah, very smart. Read and write, but she only went to grade five. And she actually was, uh, more literate than one of my sisters who went to grade 10. Uh, so your mother know, lived a very, very tough life. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, right? But when she was with me for the last 20 years, uh, I quit the show circuit that I was doing three years ago and she traveled with me all over Ontario to do my shows and I paid her and she would help me and I help. We're a team, you know, so she, we did about 500 different towns and over 500 towns in, uh, 20 years almost. Yeah. You had a very All deep relationship. I can tell with your mother oh, and yeah, yeah, she, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I adored my mother and I greatly respected her because I know what she was going through when we were, we were growing up. Uh, unfortunately my father was not, uh, kind of, you know, husband or father that he could have been. And, uh, my mother didn't have it easy and I just, Try to make up, try to make up for lost time for her. Yeah, your mother loved you. I, I could definitely sense that. Yeah, yeah. We're very good, very, very good team. Yeah, that's, that's really nice to hear. A lot of people out there don't even have parents. And sometimes yeah, the people that do sad. have parents don't even like their own flesh well, and blood. Well, that's, that's right. It's a sad situation if they have a mother they yeah, don't it's, relate it's to, terrible. or father they don't relate to, or neither. And it's very sad because mm-hmm. people, you know, the, the mother, the father, the parent, um, you know, didn't have it easy or even if they had it not too hard or whatever. I think it's a good thing to really honor that parent and to love them if, if they, if you saw how they grew up, you know, I guess it would develop, it would vary from, you know, person to person. One time, you know, up until about what, 40 years ago, 
people would, you know, get along relatively well with their parents. Right. And, um, but it's just that society today is so footloose. So different, yeah. That people have lost sight of their, you know, their progeny or their father or mother. I mean, I did not get along with my father at all. He disowned me at 21. And uh, for various reasons, didn't understand me, but my mother was always there for me. Always. Yeah, that happens sometimes too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, Michael, I, I do want to ask you, did you grow up at all being, I guess you can say, religious? Um, not really. I'm Roman Catholic, but not really. My mother used to take us to church every Sunday when I was up until about, uh, 11 years old. But, uh, I respect religion and I understand it and I read as- different aspects of various religions and I saw that common thread throughout them all. So, I'm not, you know, uh, how should I put it? Uh, I follow the, uh, I follow the natural edicts of what's out there. I don't need to know the Ten Commandments to know what's right or wrong. Right. Oh, yeah, but I, sure. I wouldn't say that I'm religious, but I'm very conscious, you know, of laws of, you know, ca- cause and effect, you know, karma, universal laws, you know, and I, and I think that treating others as you would want to be treated is a pretty simple thing, right? But not That's the golden that. rule, yeah. Not everybody gets that though. Every, some, no. people, some people, not everyone some people does. want to win and they want you to lose. You know, they want to yeah. win, they want you to lose, and then, uh, and then I think the ideal state is for you to win and for them to win. You so, know, uh, so you say you respect religion, but what about Scientology? Absolutely. What about Scientology? Do you respect that? Um, well, you know what? I had a couple of friends who were into that. Uh, well, I've done some seminars in the states, and there are some aspects to it. That seemed to be, that seemed to make sense. But of course, I understand too that it, it is a cult. My uncle was in Scientology when I was very young. Oh no. And he, uh. He drank the Kool-Aid. Uh, I think I was, I was 10 years old when he had gone to it with my dad and, uh, he was in it for five years. He spent over $75,000. Oh my God. Years. And then when he stopped paying, oh, they threatened to kill him. So he wow. came all the way to Fort Murray, Alberta. To escape, and he stayed up there for five years in one of my father's houses. And um, what it did to him was it basically took away all his emotions. So I, I don't have I don't have much regard or any for Scientology. And plus, from what I've known, what was what they've been talking about the last twenty thirty years, I've seen and known it since I was just a young kid. Yeah, that's and, a um, very dangerous, dangerous. It's a very cult. dangerous. Uh, yeah, they have they have some things that make sense only because it, it is common sense. But my uncle at the time, when I was in grade nine, had given me a book, you know, Scientology. It's a very thick book, you know, 380 pages. Right. First day of school, he gave it to me, and I had it. I brought it with me the first day of school, and I put it in my locker, okay? And then after school finished, the last day of school, that book was still in my locker. And I had never taken it out or looked at it. I took it out then, and I threw it in the garbage. <laughs> and it's funny that I don't Good know choice. why I didn't read it, you know? Well, Ron L. Hubbard. That's all you need to know. Yeah, but grade nine, I didn't really know, you know, no, what, what it was. But I, I looked at it, read the back, and it was just, you, didn't I, have a, I, you know, it stayed in there the whole year or 10 months or whatever at my locker, and it's just like it was invisible. It's that, and at that time, it's that intuition. I didn't know that my uncle, my uncle was in it and paying them and everything, right? So I got into magic. I learned how to move things and do things by illusion, and I really learned how to do it. Well, in Scientology, like they, they teach you, as you know, how to use your mental powers. And if you if you uh, lose a finger or whatever, they, they they say that they can give you the power to regenerate. 
right? Yes. And this That's is what I read. These are the things they taught you. So he he never learned any of those, but I did, you know, through illusion and also through some other methods. So just kind of odd that uh, that would happen. And uh, I think they've probably done more harm than good, from what I understand. Where, where's your uncle now, if you don't mind me asking? Well, he's in Toronto here. He's in Toronto. Is he still with Scientology? I mean, well, obviously not. Well, I saw him. I saw him a little over four years ago. Uh, my mother's uh, memorial, but no, he's he's been on Scientology for over uh, 38 years. So he had got into it when I was, uh, let's see, in grade eight. Been in it for five years. He's been out of it for a long time. Yeah, I meant does and he, he moved to Fort Murray because mm-hmm. they did threaten to kill him. Yeah, and was, they have done it to other people. I meant to say, does he still talk about Scientology? That's what I no, meant. No, no, it doesn't. No, no. Okay, so he's a very smart guy, but mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to have any emotion. They seem, he seems to be stripped of emotion. And I understand that they had this thing called clear. They brainwashed him. It doesn't him. mean that. You, well, yeah, yes, but it doesn't mean that you you're, you should have no conscience or no emotion, right? So at my mother's memorial, he didn't seem to show any. Emotion. There's oh, about wow. 50 family members from Quebec and Montreal that came up to Toronto. But when I saw him, I hadn't seen him for a while. It didn't exhibit any kind of, it was like a stone face appearance. Thousand yard stare, so, huh? Yeah, and so it's not, it doesn't look like, it's like I swear, it was like a robot or, or an android, you know, that I was looking at. Yeah, they got to him. Well, yeah, they did. But there are other people that get into it too that still have their emotions. But True. there's something that uh, is not correct about his Personally, behavior, you know, I yeah. I have respect for him, but his mental yeah. health is is probably diminished at, but to some degree. Well, intellectually, he's he's smart, but he doesn't have the emotional IQ. Right. He seems to lack the yeah. I hear you. Yeah. That's very unfortunate, but yeah, there's is, these yeah. these cults out there, and even certain religions that operate like cults as well. I, I could mention a few of them, but I'd probably get in trouble. But I think yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, they're out there. Mm-hmm. And I like I like uh, you know the organization tells you to check out the truth for yourself, right? To study and everything, then you know that it's pretty well it's kosher <laughs> or legitimate. Like the Monroe Institute and uh, the Omega Institute in Newburgh, New York, where I got my uh, uh, one of my degrees in remote viewing by Dr. David Morehouse. But places, I mean, it's so simple. Like they tell you, uh, you know, they tell you what to do. They tell you not to think outside the box, basically, and to follow a certain regiment, like in the military. Then right off the bat, you know that it's wrong, or people should know. Yeah, it's it's a awful thing, really. It's kind of like it's kind of like all the pastors you see who are millionaires. That's right. That's right. That's another thing that makes me scratch my head. It's it's awful to see these people lie to their own congregation using God's word. Yes. Yes. It's uh, it's uh, it's a thing that happens, but uh, that's what uh, it's in the books, you know. And that's what uh, certain um, beings, celestial beings, or extraterrestrials, or whatever you want to call them, have said that there's going to be a lot of false prophets, you know. Oh and yes, it's true. They're true. They're right. People in positions of power that are promising certain things and that cannot deliver, you know, promise, you know, to give much, uh, end up delivering little. And just lying at the end, you know, giving you nothing. It's really like, who can we trust? Yeah. Well, there are, there are, there are people out there in the organizations that you can trust. You know, you know them, you know, from what they've done with things like that. Uh, they're there. Just tell from the way they've, what they've done in the past and so on and so forth. Yes. 
So, Michael, we are coming to a conclusion here on the program, but I, I do want to ask you a few more things. And uh, before I do, are, are there any other things that you wanted to mention here on the program before we get to those pressing issues? Um, yes, Frank. If anybody wants me to do any kind of programs, feel free to contact me, you know, uh, under my email. If someone wants to put together a program, people, I'll be happy to come up there and do it, uh, whether it's remote viewing, lucid dreaming, out-of-body adventures, or developing the right side of the brain. And uh, my email is uh, com. two R's in Telstar, T-E-L-S-T-A-R-R. And then, of course, they can also Google my name, Michael Telstar, on Google. They can get information there. And uh, I have some new uh, CDs and manuals. And I'm coming out with my first draft of my biography. So if anybody's interested in that, they can, I guess, just get back to me anytime. Now, I do want to leave you with just this question here. Do we have free will or is that an illusion? Yeah, you have free will, of course. You decide when you're going to go to bed. You decide when you're going to go to sleep. That's free will. There you go. You go to a restaurant, right? You can decide on a hamburger. You can decide on a vegetarian plate. So all those are indications of free will, right? Now, you have free will, but it doesn't mean that there, are, uh, there aren't uh, circumstances or individuals or situations that can't influence you or prevent you from utilizing your free will. So you get, you get so for example, you get... Um, you get harmed, right? You end up breaking your legs mm-hmm. or whatever. You end up in the hospital, right? You, you you get cast in your legs. You can't just say that I'm going to get up out of the bed and start walking, right? That's free will. But your free will is impeded because your legs are in cast. So that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. I mean, you know, you have free will there, but you just can't exercise it. So it seems to me that our free our will, our free will is slowly being disconnected or slowly being um, hampered or it's uh, being discouraged by certain um, organizations or government. So, the, the, for example, the First Amendment in the States is uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to congregate in, a, you know, in a, congregate in an area with others, and so on and so forth. So free will exists, absolutely. Very nice, Michael. I love getting everyone's opinion on that question. Everyone has a different perspective, of course. And uh, Michael, once again, go ahead and plug your your website. Yeah, if they right now, if they just want to uh, go on the internet, just Google my name. They'll get my site, MichaelTelstar.com. Uh, Michael Telstar. They'll get my YouTube videos. I have 95 videos. I sent you a few tonight on remote viewing. Uh, if anybody wants me to do a seminar or program in their city or their place. And they want to put it together or sponsor me. I'd be happy to do that. Um, if they want to contact me for any question, they can. I have some new CDs and video, uh, sorry, not video CDs and, uh, manuals on remote viewing and, um, and OBEs as well. So if they want to get any information on that, they can. Very nice. Well, once again, thank you for being on the program. End of days, the Michael Deacon program. It's been an honor and privilege once again to Thank speak you, to Michael, you. Thank you, Michael. Me too. Yeah, it's two o'clock in the morning here, folks. Oh my folks, goodness! You're wondering. It's late. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you're thinking yes. Michael is here talking, but I'm doing it in an automatic state. But I'm a night hawk anyway. I'm a night <laughs> Oh, I love that. I have to get up early in the morning. I just stay up, Mike. I don't go to sleep. <laughs> I know you're. You're just. You're just on the entire time. The mind just never turns off for yeah. you. 
It, it, but it, well, it, it, it does. It does, you know, but not, not, you know, for long periods, it'll be in that state, yes. <laughs> definitely. Well, once again, thank you for being here and we'll definitely get you back on the air here and it's been Okay, Mike, I enjoy it. Next time we'll do that. Uh, we'll do some other experiments with you and your listeners. All right, Michael. Take care. Thank you so much. All right, be safe. I'll see, I'll see you in Focus 21. I'll see you at the park. Thank you. Right, take care. <laughs> bye bye, Mike. And that was Michael Telstar. My goodness, what a great guest he was, right? I had fun talking to him about one of my favorite subjects, astral projection, and of course, lucid dreaming. How can anyone not like that? So, of course, before I got interrupted with different guests and different subjects here, I was, of course, speaking about the movie, The Arrival, that film, yes. Goodness, I'm, I'm back to that again, talking about that film. I'm still triggered by it. It was going all, all nice and dandy there. It was smooth sailing for most of the film. And then of course it got towards the end there and it fell apart, folks. It fell apart. I'm sorry I had to go back to talking about this, but it just triggered me so badly the way everyone was hyping this film and it just fell short for me. It fell short, folks. I'm sorry. And, of course, that interesting tidbit I shared earlier about Donald Trump, about the wall being built, my little city getting some recognition in the news there. That's always fun. My goodness, what a week. I had a great week. I hope all of you out there had a great week. Of course, not everyone had a great week. There was lots of deaths out there. Kim Jong-nam, half-brother of the ever so popular Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. He was assassinated, as all of you out there already know. They took him out with that VX nerve agent. My goodness. I guess that deadly nerve agent was developed back in the 1950s. What's next? I have no idea what to expect here. What, what to expect around the world. It seems like everyone's losing their minds. Oh, it seems like someone's giving me a call here. Oh boy, that was loud. Is that you, Andy? Yes, what's going on? What's going on, Andy? You are lucky that you called this line. I normally don't answer this one. Yeah, um, uh, actually, Max asked me to call this one, so. Oh, what's going on? I'm uh, just chilling, and, um, I, I was hearing your uh, show. I haven't had time to listen to it, like, for like two months, but that shit that guy was talking was, like, insane. Like, it, literally. It was fun, right? Yeah, dude, uh, the shit you were, uh, the question you asked him about, like, um, and he was an astral projection guy, but I think I, I mentioned to you before, um, my shit that I, my paranormal stuff that I've experienced hit home when you were talking to him. I was like, holy shit. Oh yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Um, so the only time I've been in Mexico, I'm half Mexican. Um, I was 13 and I remember seeing some green lights and next thing I know, I'm in bed. And I feel something creeping up on me, like dragging me out of the bed. That's so creepy. That's, yeah. Yeah, I don't like the way that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just saying like, it's like, holy shit. I'm, I'm, I don't know why it's, I, I, I should listen to this more is what I'm saying. Your show. Why don't you? Yeah. I'm busy. I'm well, that's saying. true. It's, it's yeah. a Saturday night. I don't expect you to be listening to the program live. No, I, I do listen. That's the only time <laughs> I listen. So. Yes, very yeah. cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that guest there, Andy. Yeah, it's like the shit he was saying, like, holy shit, man. Yeah, it's pretty wild yeah. stuff. It's pretty wild stuff. I mean, a lot of these things that 
we talk about here on the program, I'm sure goes over lots of people's heads. There's lots of uh, newer people out there that listen to this program, which I think is actually, right. which I think is actually good. They come it's in with thing, no, yeah. yeah, they come in it's with no bad habits or anything, which is something I, I really appreciate. And I'm getting some sort like of, what I'm, mm-hmm, what's that? What I'm saying is like the, the, the format, the new format after, you know, all the whole shit happened, whatever. Right. It's a lot better now, you know? It's like, it, it's concise. You don't have someone butting in. Right. Doesn't know what they're doing, and you actually know what you're talking about. Sure. It's really good. It was a so. very fun, yeah, it's a very fun dynamic here now that I'm riding solo into the sun with a hypnotized and, oh, mind. And you know what you're talking about. Like, your guests know that you know what you're talking about. Like, when you bring in a guest, like, you know you know what they're talking about. For it, sure. It's, it's, it's really cool to have that, you know? Yeah. Like, you know Thank you. It's not like it was before is what I'm saying. It's a lot better than it was before. A hundred percent better. Yeah. I I can't, I can't argue with that. Yeah. Like it's like, I'm, I'm, I kid you not. Like I remember when I first met you from Frank Acosta, Rico Frank. Frank. He told me about your show and I listened to it. And at first I was like, all right, it's, it's okay. But this other guy keeps butting in, you know, (laughs) and now I listen to it when I can. And only listen to live. I'm, I'm not kidding. Only listen to live. And mm-hmm. when you bring your guests on, you let them talk. Is what I'm saying. You let them talk, yes. and, you, and you put in when when they, something weird comes up, like, "Oh, what do you mean about that?" You know. The other guy would always be like laughing. So. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that really uh, lowered the value of the program tremendously. And yeah. Max but, was here, by so, the way, but he hung up. Oh, he's calling in. Uh, we've been talking. We we're trying to call in together, so if you can get him on. Yeah, I think it's because of oh, there he is again. Um, can you make it a three-way? Max, are you alive? Hey, man, how's it going? There you are. What's going on, Max? Oh man, I oh, want no, to Max. join those guys. What? What? Uh, did Andy call in? I, I sort of heard you talking. Yeah. but I couldn't hear him. I'm here. Andy's with me right now. You can't hear him. No. Oh well, that's kind of unusual because he can hear you and. Uh, and I can hear. Yeah, I can hear yeah. him, but he can't hear me. But you can't hear him. Not at all. Hey Max, fuck you. Yeah, that's really weird. But of course, <laughs> we're we're kind of running out of out of time here. But Andy, um, what's going on with you out there in Atlanta? Just working up the ass, man. Oh, it is or work. Right on, yeah. right on. Well, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I've I've been on a while, but I do want to thank you for calling in, Andy. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I was listening to the show. It was really good. Ah, oh, thank you very Trust much. Me, it is. It's still really fucking good. Like. Thank you. Especially when we dropped the bombs with the the grays and the reptilians with the guy. Yes. Awesome shit. Awesome shit. Awesome. And he actually he actually knew what he was talking about. So. Yes. Great, great time. And once again, thank you for calling in, Andy. Yeah, man. Uh, keep it up, man. All right, buddy. Good night. Good night. Yes, of course. I do have to move things along here. I'm running kind of late here, but uh, Max, what what's going on? Did you have something to add before we get going here? Did you want to say good night to everyone? Yeah, what a great show that was, and you've been knocking it out of the park there, sir. These these last few shows have been just fantastic. That last guy, man, that was some great stuff. He's talking about remote viewing, all kinds of different things that intrigue me and, you know, are certain plot elements that I are maybe borrowing for films. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Oh, wow. Very cool, Maxwell. I do want to thank you for calling in here. I'm going to have to leave you with the final word. Any words of advice? 
Yes, I have lots of advice, but the one thing I will say is have lots of sex, folks. Enjoy it tremendously. Thank you for that, Max. Have a good night, man. Good night. So thank you, folks, for listening in on the program. Had a great time here talking to the guest, great, great guest tonight. Bit of a bumpy ride, folks. It was hard to get a hold of Paul and, of course, Michael. Very difficult. And, of course, I do want to remind all of you, you can go back to endofdaysradio.org or michaeldeacon.com and check out any previous show that you might have missed. The show completely depends on its listeners. That means you. I depend on all of you out there to spread the word. Share the show with a friend. And, of course, if you have any funny impersonations of myself or other listeners, please feel free to send those in at michaelendofdays at gmail.com. I do want to thank all of you for being here live and, of course, all of those who listen to the podcast version of this show. I will be back soon. Thank you for being here. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. Oh, my. Yeah. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holmes right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should exist before 726. Oh, Grammy. I like Grammy. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Bruce said. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the butt tender, you think, what the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you going to be smoking pot about midnight? That's what I want. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfucker? Flawless.